0: Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris.
1: And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things marvel.
0: Madams, assemble.
1: So, Krista, how's your brain today?
0: Well,. I will say this. Owen Wilson is so goddamn relatable that despite my severe susceptibility to motion sickness, I want nothing more than to ride a jet ski right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, jet skis and you don't quite match.
0: No, I wouldn't even be able to get on one. So you know what? I need his magazine. That'll do. (laughs) You know what? I should be living the Mobius lifestyle, actually,
1: now that I think about it. Fortunately, we have some help today.
0: We do. Yes. This episode, everybody, has been in the works for a while, and we are very excited. Things are going to get giggly because (laughs) today we are joined by two non-Cheeto-eating gentlemen that we've grown very fond of. They are the hosts of the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Welcome to the show, Josh and Lee Waniga. Oh,
2: madams, we are so excited to be here. Chris, like you said, we have been talking about putting this together for uh, what feels like uh, forever, but really developing this this kinship really between the four of us. Uh, we are positively chuffed to be here for, uh, for all of our, our British friends. Uh, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm Josh <laughs> from, uh, from the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Uh, Tabletop Journeys is a podcast all about tabletop role-playing games, mostly Dungeons & Dragons, but we talk a lot about homebrewing your own campaign worlds and stuff like that, and uh, bringing in inspiration from all manners of of geek culture. Uh, So we talk a lot of Star Wars, a lot of Star Trek, uh, and we talk a lot of Marvel. uh, And we talk a lot of DC too, but we talk a lot of Marvel mostly because there is so much Marvel stuff going on right now that it's kind of, uh, it's kind of impossible not to. And there's so many good things happening uh, in the Marvel universe. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to uh, be joined here with my co-host uh, Lee Wanika.
3: Hello, madams. Thank you so much for allowing us to join you on your show. Uh, from the first moment, I said, listen to this podcast. Uh, I would say I was maybe partway through the lead in and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. Um, and I am proud to be uh, a non-Cheeto non-Cheeto eater. Absolutely, uh, in <laughs> fact, I turned down a bag of Cheetos just last night, leaving my not- <laughs> job. So, um, uh, hey, could you pass those on to me? <laughs> I I will definitely uh, make that effort for you, but I I can tell you that uh, speaking with people who love the things we love and are passionate about it. And introspective about it, that being a very big key, uh, is exactly why we do what we call side quests, where that's the part of our podcast where we talk about the shows we watch, uh, the genre, the, the things within the genre that inspire our tabletop games. And it's big about the introspection, about the hobby in, gen- in general, Inclusive inclusivity and um, themes are very important. That's why we do those side quests, because quite honestly... I could not be contained in a in a podcast just about one thing. I had to talk about <laughs> other things. So driving on uh, my one-hour commute, w- listening to you ladies once a week, it allows me to kind of get some of that out. And you give me so much inspiration and extra things to think about. Like you think about some shows, specifically Loki, and you're like, there's something that I didn't get, like why I felt that way about it. And then I'm listening to your show, and I'm like, "That's it. That's that's the point." And yeah. actually, not just about Loki, I was actually thinking about Dark World. Of all the things that didn't work about Dark World, it was your conversation just two weeks ago. Now, as we're recording, um, when I was mm-hmm. when you did your retrospective on that, that I realized it didn't work because it wasn't Thor's story. It was mm-hmm. story. And I think this show is a perfect sequel to Dark World in that it's everything better. It took the good parts of that, Loki, and it's a show about that. <laughs> yeah, All that You're saying, exactly we right. We love talking to
2: smart people, and so we uh, are so excited about this show today. So,
3: Well,
0: thank you, gentlemen. And listeners, you guys are in for a treat because we have a bona fide comic aficionado with us today in Liwanika. So we're super excited about that.
1: Yeah, I'm the amateur. He's the professional.
3: (laughs) Professional in that I owned a comic book store for a number of years, and I have two local credits, but I did get the grand pleasure sitting in a creator creator's room with John Byrne for a time for about four hours of my life, which I wish I could go back to that moment more than just in my head. Like if I could get hold of one of these TVA devices, I would be back in that room, and I would have even more questions for him than I did the first time.
0: Wow! Yeah. I think everybody lately is thinking about what they would do with those time twisters. They're not bad. Oh yeah, they're not. Bad.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's dive in to episode two. I don't know about you guys, but this episode was so meta I could barely handle it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So much stuff. Look, I'm just going to dive in. Whatever. So. One thing that your listeners probably don't know is that I have uh lots of experience running around and playing medieval uh it's one of my my hobbies uh like you know used to don seventy five pounds of armor and hit my friends with swords. So the fact that this episode <laughs> began at a wren fair, goodness, it made my heart so so. F- I was so happy. It was I knew so it. much fun.
0: Oh, it was Josh, awesome. Josh, I yeah. swear I knew it. I knew one of you was going to be nerding out about yeah. this Ren Fair, and I oh, couldn't totally.
2: wait. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could say about it is that in 1985, the costumes weren't that good, but whatever. Like, that's a minor quibble <laughs> uh, with, that, with that scene. Otherwise, it was. Yes. The, the,
0: yes. Also, you, I was like, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, a Ren
2: Fair? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Even, even the woman's like, some of us take this
3: seriously, you know? Like,
2: like <laughs> I
4: have Heard oh, that person.
3: That. I've heard that person. <laughs> I was feeling that moment. Like, uh, like it reminded me of this meme where, like, people will dress up in their Star Trek costumes. I have a couple. Uh, and go to Ren Fairs and walk around with tricorders and act like they're investigating it or they're in some kind of time anomaly. And I think that's, like, <laughs> the coolest thing ever. And I was actually wondering if they were going to do that, like, if that's where they were going to go with it. But that person saying, you know, don't make fun of us. We need this. This is for us. And um, I think she was speaking not only in character, but speaking for all of us fans when people who are not like us are going to act a certain way around us when we're doing these things, either at Ren Fairs or we're talking about our shows or whatever. So that was like an extremely meta line in this show that was for every single fan of these shows.
0: And it goes to show that, Nerds are running this show, the best kind of nerds is they totally lean into it with the t v a minutemen showing up out of place
3: it was It was perfection like it was jarring because we live that life in all these aspects you know i there was a time in my life where I was putting myself in this space where it's like I can't let people know I like these geek things. I had to go to high school, I had to be the soccer jock, I had to be the kid who did whatever in school, but I was really trying to compartmentalize my life and hide the fact that I liked some of these other pursuits. Until a great friend, she's like, but you like this stuff. Just like this stuff. If people don't like you for liking it, then you don't need them. Uh, mm-hmm. Be free. Uh, amazing piece of advice. It wasn't said in those words, but it, it was actions that meant those words. And uh, it really made a huge difference in the way I approach life.
1: Yeah, that's true. Even for me, I've always been so wary of letting people know that I'm the biggest geek ever around, especially as a girl. It's like, oh, really? You know, so, yeah, I get that. Like, I've always tried to hide that aspect of myself for quite a while.
0: Yeah, it can be, you know, tougher for women in some ways. And that's one of the reasons we love the fact that the TVA so far is like so representative and diverse, particularly for women.
3: It's amazing. Yeah, Absolutely as the father of two daughters raised them watching shows like Stargate and Samantha Carter and all of the women that Josh and I discussed in our women's uh women's month uh, episode it was it's awesome to see that we're not only talking about these things we're now showing those things so actions are finally following words movie companies and television shows have been claiming that they're leaning towards this and moving towards this for I don't know, 20 years of my life at least. But it takes till now to actually see it on screen. And I think that's an amazing thing.
0: So we have these Minutemen heading to another Nexus event. And this intro had me dancing in my living room at 3.30 in the morning with my dogs. Like, oh, God, should we get the net? Is this the moment?
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, it was just, it was fabulous. I'm. I, I can't say enough good things about that. Like, even, like, there's... I'm not sure – you guys must have them in the Midwest. They, uh, out here, they're called Medieval Times. They're like these dinner events that feature – it's like watching A Knight's Tale, but like being in the audience and being in regular clothes while like other people are like putting on a stage show. Uh, and they'll do that sort of thing where it's like they'll have like knights coming in with like, superimposed with like pop music and stuff like that. And, and So again, just really
3: how well crafted they did that was, was really just amazing. And uh, yeah. the, the actual combat sequences were brilliant. Like you could see what was going on. You could see the surprise, and just a couple of the glances at the that the actor who was taken over, you know, after the Hunter C twenty, yes, yeah. When the, when the green, little green flashed in her eyes, and just some of the smirks that indicated this is not the person that walked into this room. This is a different person. That was mm-hmm. beautiful. Like that. That's a tough thing to do. To To play a person being taken over by a person is probably, I would assume, I'm not a professional actor, I don't even play one on TV, uh, but I would assume (laughs) that's got to be a difficult skill to master, and then to do it at that level, wow, that's great. I hope we see that actor in other things uh, and more prominently displayed.
0: And it's especially difficult given that that actor doesn't know who that other character is. Yeah. We don't even fully yet know who she is and (laughs) we'll get to it. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And Marvel is somewhat is the type of company who wouldn't even tell them like she's a pretty small part. Like she has a small part. So for her to not she might not even know even in tangentially what kind of a character she's playing. They might have just told her certain characteristics Mm -hmm. and stick with that.
3: Yeah, like, and that's a testament to the director. I've seen some directors do their thing uh, for live performances. I have a a close friend who's a professional actor, and I remember when we were kids, I used to hang around and watch him do his practices and rehearsals. I'd go with him there before we'd go over to his his parents' house for dinner or whatever. And uh, I've seen direction, and I can't imagine how great that director must be to have been able to get that kind of performance on limited information.
0: Yeah. Kate Heron is doing a phenomenal job.
2: One of the things that I key on a lot in shows like this is when they are sort of intentionally leaning into homage of other things. Right. And when they walked into that tent, the, I had alien vibes all over it where it's like, they don't really know what they're going, what they're getting into. They don't really know where the, what we would what we would call in tabletop role playing parlance, the big bad evil guy, right? We don't really know where they are, uh, and and they're just like like that look of like determination plus terror plus surprise as this thing starts jumping out of the shadows at them. Brilliant, mm-hmm. and I don't know mm-hmm. if that homage was intentional or not, but I know as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, it's alien. Oh, oh, crap! Like that's
0: now. Let's talk about Miss Bonnie Tyler for a second because this song is fantastic. It's perfect but I'm not entirely sure what it means. Holding out for a hero? Yep. Where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? Mm. Uh, Who's the hero here? Is this song choice telling us that this variant believes herself to be the hero of her own story? Or is this song foreshadowing saying, we need a hero, the universe needs a hero, and that hero needs to be Loki?
2: Wow, that's so as the resident non comic book guy, right? I don't think we know who the hero of this story is yet. I'm just going to toss that out there. Like I think Agreed. at this point that we are dealing with with Loki who in in episode 1 was literally and figuratively stripped down and rebuilt. And the TVA who are at the best they are Mobius is an anti-hero, right? If even that much, right? Um and now we have this new mysterious figure that we're going to dive into, but I, I don't think we know who the hero is. I think at I think that at this point we are watching, we are watching the agents of chaos in full effect and we don't know who is going to try to hold it all together yet. Like there's no doubt in my mind that like the timekeepers aren't, aren't the heroes. The, the Mobius is not a hero. Like no idea, maybe Renslayer, but you know, like that's, only because of how lawful she is in kind of trying to enforce order on everything. But mm-hmm. I don't really know that we know who the hero are. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, It it also doesn't help when our protagonist is the world's most unreliable narrator.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely. <laughs> when I heard the song, I didn't think it was identifying anybody in specific. In retrospect, once we realize who the variant is, I took it as... It was her voice mocking those who were after her. Like, I don't think she was calling anybody to be one thing or another, but it it was almost like a cynical take on Bonnie Tyler's song, which is interesting because that song is sung from a, I I need this, I want this, and this person is going to be the most wonderful thing in my life. But if you take it to a sinister and cynical flip, now you've got a, it's never going to happen. You're not going to have a hero. You know, and and, and and when you quoted that line of the song, that, that's where it really solidified in my mind that that's the variant mocking everybody and daring them to follow. Yep. And that- I think you may be right about that. I think that's what that was. And- You got me thinking now. When you later find out that this is a female character, at least presenting as, then you're like, okay, now the voice makes sense. I don't think it like I thought it was great song. Why are they putting it here until I saw her face? Then it clicked like that was cool. It was after it was like, like you said, so meta, like so many things just come out of the episode, but make sense when you look at the whole episode. Or
1: what if the variant didn't choose the song? This was one of the pre-recorded recordings available in that tent at that time.
3: That's how I took it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, because I I have not been to any one of those, but I definitely see that song being used in that context. Uh, So, like I said, meta. It's there, and it makes sense in the moment, but it has this other context to it. Um, Yeah. It makes sense towards the end. I think it's all of the things that we're all talking about, which is exceptionally cool, and nobody comes across that, By accident, that was a plan, and wow, was it brilliantly executed!
4: Mm -hmm.
0: So we move from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and I don't know about anybody else, but I just kept picturing children in overalls. All those Oshkosh (laughs) baggage commercials kept coming back Uh, to me.
2: You are a children
3: of the eighties, like I am, Chris. Fabulous! I love it. I love it. That's exactly what I think, and I sing the song in my head.
0: So now we gotta head back to the TVA where we find our God of Mischief. In a position we've never seen him in before.
2: Behind a desk, shuffling papers. Like, yeah, And <laughs> totally happy about it. You know, Miss Minutes was one of the things that I keyed on so much from the first episode. Uh, about how, how the TVA in general sort of has this idyllic 1950s vibe to it. Like, when cosmic forces are able to to write time and play with time down to the minutest of details that the time that they would pick is like June of 1955, right? Is that amused me uh, to no end at all. Um, And I thought that this was, this was fabulous. His conversation with whether or not she's real or alive or not was, was fantastic. And a huge acting job by Hiddleston too. Like, Oh my, like, cause he's talking to nothing there. Like that's like, when you think about how that is done, like he's probably talking to a guy holding a tennis ball uh and and acting with it. I mean, that absolutely fabulous job by Hiddleston.
0: He steals yeah. this episode. It's just incredible what he does here the whole way through. And I gotta say, I'm I'm on his side here. I hate how adorable Miss Mittens is, and I'd swat her with a magazine too. <laughs> <laughs> And it's such a great, again, Kate Heron went to the Steven Spielberg School of Entertaining Exposition because they're doing it. Again, they use Miss Minutes, who's adorable, and they use, you know, Loki at different points, your most compelling character, use him to give us the exposition in an entertaining, relatable way.
3: Yeah. And it's very interesting because you spoke in the Thor Dark World episode about how the exposition was terribly done. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, let's it on for five minutes. I know I'm supposed to pay attention to this. Otherwise, the rest of this crap movie is not going to make sense, right? But this is done with a a knowledge about how do you make it interesting so people are paying attention, but because they want to pay attention versus have to pay attention. And uh, again, not an easy skill to master, but extremely well done.
1: Yeah, and they're also doing it in bite-sized pieces,
0: yeah, they recognize it's too much all at once.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, there was a there was a I forget where I was. I was probably a creative writing class in my freshman year of college. And uh, the teacher said or and uh, that if you're writing a story and you need to narrate beyond a few paragraphs, you need to rewrite everything because mm-hmm. it's not good. You know. Mhm. Movies that open up with long narration sequences are generally there are a few exceptions to this rule, but are generally not good or that is the piece that is generally perceived as being the worst part of that creation, whether it be Mm -hmm. writing or in a movie. You know, the screen scroll in Star Wars, the only reason why that works is because it looks cool and it had never been done in that way before. In any other film done any other way, a bunch of written, that many written words, so you understand where we are in the story, they'd say, just go write the beginning of the story. And they tell you, that's you true, up off a lake. Probably why Lucas had so many problems getting Star Wars to market, because nobody saw the vision of, I'll make it look cool.
0: Mm-hmm. You know what did that really well was Gladiator. You get that quick little paragraph, and then you're in it.
3: Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's all about giving a lot of information to provide context in an entertaining way, or if it has to be words, then you got to do it quick, and it's got to somehow fit what you're doing. So now we get our little uh, morning group huddle here
0: because Hunter B-15 needs to lead everybody, including Loki and Mobius, to check out this latest crime scene. And Wunmi Musako is pun intended, low-key fantastic on this show.
2: (laughs) That's brilliant. As the resident pun expert, I applaud. I
3: applaud, absolutely. (laughs) There's so many things that are done well with with that character. I think she has attitude and strength and projects. And what I really like is that it's done in a way where it doesn't come across, quote-unquote, catty. Mm -hmm. This is a person- who has a job and a plan and agency, and they're not taking anybody's crap. They're just, yes, I'm here. You're there. I'm going to get this done. And you're not going to screw up, screw me up or screw up anybody else. Because my job is to make sure you don't.
0: And it's done so well. And I think it's intentional that I don't know who has more authority, Hunter B-15 or Mobius.
3: yeah honestly i think it depends on the situation and i've done a lot of tabletop games where i've played with this dynamic where you have a uh mission lead an investigator a lieutenant or what have you and then you have a high-ranking nco where basically they're in charge of all the combat and the tactics so the answer is neither is in charge entirely it's one of them is in charge under certain certain circumstances. As long as there's a threat, Hunter's in charge. Yeah. If there's not a threat, Mobius is in charge. It depends on what's actually happening on the ground in that moment. And those two entities tend not to get along. In my military experience they tend not to get along well because they yeah. always, alpha personalities want to be alpha personalities always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. even when they recognize they're not supposed to be
4: mm-hmm.
0: yes even more so then yeah,
3: yeah. It, it is very hard to turn that down uh yep. it's a struggle that not everybody manages well uh obviously the history of the world is bereft with examples of when that doesn't work well yeah uh,
0: So. yeah totally. genghis khan didn't really step aside for anybody did he no he
2: didn't you know and and they have different jobs here too and their jobs are somewhat conflicting right you've got b15 who her people are being kidnapped and killed by this by who b15 believes is a variation on loki so she has that sort of like you're causing this you can stop this why aren't you and then you've got Mobius who is who has to be a little bit more surgical about what he's doing because he's trying to investigate he's looking for evidence he is looking for clues that sort of thing and working with the only person that he thinks can bring him to this rogue variant that's running through time causing all this havoc and so i I'm probably superimposing a little bit but i assume that B15 not only doesn't get along with Mobius, but resents him a little bit for pulling strings and pulling rank and taking kind of the target of of B 15s angst and anger and th- the insult that that she's been suffering on missions to go ahead and 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 solve this. Uh, like it's it's like one of them's FBI and one of them's CIA, right? They've got different missions and those missions conflict on some level.
0: That's a really good point and the perfect analogy. I hadn't get, I hadn't thought about that. Thank you.
3: I, I'm a huge fan of the MCIS franchise. I watch all of them all the time, yeah. and some of the interactions between agencies are where some of the greatest drama happens. You know, uh, this agency doesn't operate on U.S. soil. This this is our case. This is not your case. If you think back to all the procedurals, we watch some of the best episodes where your hero's like, but I've got I've got the information. I've got the right way to handle this. Some of those best dramatic points are when they're in conflict with somebody else who also has something to provide, but they're coming at it from a different angle or with a different goal. Um, and, right. And I think that's really well played out here.
0: And so this is where we get our introduction to some new information about the variant and all of the other loki variants the lesser kind to be clear <laughs>
3: <laughs> right i i love the look on his face it's like he's accepted the fact that there's many of him but he's the only one that really matters and it's right in his face he actually says words that equate to that but tom hiddleston's face just reads of course i'm the only one yes like like Seriously, why are we even discussing this? You know I'm the only one. (laughs) Right, right. And I think
2: this talk back and forth with Mobius and Loki when when they get back, not to kind of gloss over the crime scene in general, but this is the part that really established to me that Mobius is clearly not, he is not the good guy that we were led to believe him to be in episode one. In episode one, we were kind of led to believe that he, he is like the law man doing what he's supposed to be doing for some pure purpose is the wrong phrase, but for lack of a better one, we'll just go with that. Um,
1: glorious purpose works.
2: Glorious purpose. Exactly. Glorious purpose. How did I not think of that? Well done, Amy. So then in this episode, he reveals that he will tell Loki, whatever it is that Loki needs to hear because Mobius knows that he needs his help. And, He doesn't really care about Loki at all. Loki is just another variant to him at the end of the day. Mobius is about saving the world and not about coddling Loki's feelings. And that I think is like we saw in episode one with how much Loki gets torn down. I think that is a moment where Loki is like, oh, oh, that's what's really going on here. And and that sucks. (laughs) As someone who has heard that before, like, Okay, that truth hurts. It's the truth, but boy, that sucks.
0: And I think the reason for the change, at least part of the reason we see for the change in Mobius in this episode is he's getting desperate.
1: I would disagree. I think it's all just his plan of trying to break Loki and make him do what he wants to do. The sympathy and all that we saw in the previous episode was just a plan. He wanted to break Loki. He wanted to mold him in a way that he would be helpful.
0: I think there's room for both. I think there's room for the genuinely sympathetic human that Mobius is and the cop who has a job to do for the greater good. And I think we may see some warring with that for Mobius.
1: But is Mobius human?
0: Oh, these existential questions, man.
3: (laughs) They keep coming. So this is where I kind of step out of the show for a moment and go and drop back into the four color pages that I have stained my fingers over the Mm -hmm. years Um, because Mobius has a history in the comic books and it's not a history. I'm extremely well-versed with, but it's Mm -hmm. also just enough where it's like, I never bought, he was terribly sympathetic. Like I don't think he'll necessarily be the big bad, but I don't think he's going to end up being the good guy at the end and 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 if they do it's because the mcu has ways of changing characters and stories that um were not solid or the big tentpole story for a character and mobius was not a big giant the greatest villain or greatest character in the fantastic four so because he didn't hold that exalted status they can use him in different ways and just harken back to that or they can use him in the way that he was used. So I don't know which way they're going to go with him but I had I at no point did I feel he was entirely sympathetic. I very much felt it was a cop trying to get the right answers or get somebody to do what he needed. He's trying to turn a CI and that's all it is and at the end of the day if the CI gets burned on the mission as long as the mission is successful. I think Mobius walks away from that saying, I did a good job. I think everything else, even him playing like it's about sympathy and all that, is Mobius playing other people as well as Loki. I think Mobius in Rensselaer's office is him playing her like, oh, trust me, this guy will be good. He'll, be, he'll work for us just so he can get this done. I don't know if he actually believes that or not. I think what he believes is I can make it happen. Like my sheer force of will will get this solved. And Loki's my key.
0: And I think the fact that we all have a different opinion on Mobius is a testament to what an incredible job Owen Wilson is doing with this role.
3: Easily one oh, of his... fabulous. Yeah. And, and, and I love him as an actor in so many things. When we did our preview, our Marvel preview last, last winter, I remember saying we are living in glorious times because I have both Wilson brothers on comic book shows. And they're and 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 I know they're both gonna kill it, you know. His, his brother Luke has been awesome on Stargirl, awesome on Stargirl. And and now Owen is like saying, Hey, bro, really? Second fiddle, kid. You know, what? <laughs> and I gotta say, as awesome as uh the character on Stargirl is, Owen's one upping it two episodes in, he's one upping right now.
0: So before we get to the crime scene, we get one of my favorite scenes in this episode because it is so incredibly meta. And that is the Professor Loki scene. I have no doubt that this was written into the script because this happened at a table read. <laughs> where Mr. So- Hiddleston said, oh, wait, actually, here's
2: the deal. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, they had to get in Professor Loki some way.
2: Yeah, they really did totally agree and and just that was a scene too that for again for like person that does not have all the history of who loki is other than really from the movies seeing how he is able to correct them about the way that his existence works and just in very clearly like, well no 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 you're you're combining two things they're totally different you got to you know and going through the like i have geeked out about that when people have made minor statements about music or whatever too. Like I've done the same thing. And like, it's only when you realize that you've been spouting off about, you know, early 20th century theory that you realize like, wait, no one's actually paying attention. And these details don't, (laughs) don't matter. I'm going to stop talking now. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
3: As I'm prone to do with comic books in general, like, like if we get on a topic, all of a sudden I will go down a very deep and glorious rabbit hole with, with comic book lore or, you know how uh, this movie depicts this aspect of the character exceptionally well, uh, while forgetting the rest of it, or what have you. And that's why I can watch almost any comic book genre thing and and generally like them, even if I don't like the whole product. I can generally like the way a character is depicted because I see the element. I actually owned the books where that story came from, or where that attitude or that view of the character came from. And I can get very preachy to to, to to be honest about it. And anybody around me will be, after a little while, they'll just, my close friends will let me roll for a bit because they know if I get it out of my system, I'm good. And, you know, and, and, yeah. and if I don't get it out of my system, I'm just going to go back to it five minutes later. Like, you can't, yeah. <laughs> I'm a dog with a bone. I mean, I will get back at that bone. 20 years later, I'm going to dig up the yard. I'm getting it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well it, it can get you into trouble sometimes depending on your topic of nerd. I mean, I've gotten some looks when explaining to people, well, no, Charles Manson wasn't actually a serial killer. He never actually killed anyone. Oh goodness. Oh yeah. You know.
2: Yeah. I mean, w- yeah, well, the, the podcast came about, right? Is that we've been doing <laughs> we've been Leewanique and I have been having these conversations on appalled people's couches for twenty something years before we're like, you know what, we should really do a podcast so we can just like do this to each
3: other. So yeah. <laughs> and, and then the people who want to hear us can hear us
2: you know? <laughs> exactly right. Instead of like keeping them captive in their own living rooms, very few,
3: <laughs> very few people across the podcast multiple episodes. Like you may hit one by accident, but if you're coming back, it's because you want to, you want to hear what's there. So uh, we just decided let's not subject our various partners and friends who don't want to hear it to it. We're gonna hold ourselves up in our respective <laughs> recording offices and give it to the world, and those who want it come and get it.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that's working so well for this show is because the driving creators of it are huge nerds. I mean, Hiddleston is the biggest MCU nerd of all the actors, no question. And I think at this point, he's also put more of himself into this character than there's ever been.
1: Yeah, and I feel that's really showing in this show, especially a little later. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's so much like I've seen Tom Hiddleston. Uh, honestly, him playing Loki was the, in uh, in Thor was the first time I'd seen the actor. Uh, I don't recall him before that, uh, but I, that was his
0: first American movie. That's how he got his SAG card. So you wouldn't have seen
3: him. Uh, but I can tell you, I have watched so many things with him in it since. And I don't watch a lot of interview TV. But if Tom Hiddleston's on an interview and I'm flipping channels, I stop. I the sound of his voice, his joy uh, with the medium, and his genuine genuosity, I'm making words now. Um,
0: <laughs> sincerity,
3: yeah, <laughs> sincerity is is definitely present, and that's infectious in all the right ways. Like it's like that's a level of positivity that you want to be a part of. You want somebody who loves their craft. You want to be around creative minds who enjoy what they are doing as opposed to some creators out there, some actors out there who are like, yeah, I'm in this movie. Yes. I have to make the rounds. Yes. This is part of my job. You know, I, I, I feel, and, and I hope it's as genuine as it comes across that he loves doing it so much that he loves talking about it because I love listening to him talk about it.
0: So now we need to head over to the crime scene where we get another, little bit of exposition here which i had to write down i'm like okay time travel rules keeping my notebook
1: yeah i wrote it and highlighted it for you so that you can keep track when you need to
0: yes reset charges prune the effective radius of a branch (laughs) timeline
1: yeah so in short basically anything that shouldn't be there is disintegrated hopefully doesn't disintegrate people we don't know that yet I need the training
2: videos. Can we get those? Marvel. <laughs> Apparently there are numerous the of them. But Loki watched it. It's okay.
3: <laughs> I do get the impression that people are included. Because otherwise, why would it be important to get out of there? And I think they left it nebulous enough so we wouldn't know in this moment. But later yeah. on, I was actually afraid that what the variant was setting up was a series of those to go off and like take out that group. Um. Like, yeah. I, I
0: think the TVA has a lot of blood on its hands.
3: Yeah,
1: I I was actually thinking that those charges would probably be sent to the TVA and just wipe it all out.
3: That's that. That was my second thought. Like going in, I'm like, oh, he's gonna. I thought he was setting up uh, time Claymore mines in uh, Walmart uh, Cost or Costmart or I forget the name of the of the place in Rocksmart. Like, Rocksmart. That's got to be like based on rocks on oil or something. That's awesome. That just hit hit. (laughs) me. I just geeked for a moment. Pardon me, but geek palpitations. Hang on a second. (laughs) Light bulb just went off for Lee There you go. That's awesome. But I I actually thought that's what it was going to do is like, that was a trap. He's going to get them all in one spot and then set them off and, and take out that group. So the people closest to hunting the variant would be taken out. But then when they started disappearing, I'm like, uh oh. There goes the TVA, you know, uh, and it looks like something else was kind of done. We'll find out exactly, but, ooh.
0: Yeah, and I think this scene also does a good job of showing us that Loki has an advantage with this variant that the TVA doesn't have. He is right in that they are underestimating this variant, and it's mainly because they can't understand the magic. They can intellectually observe these other variants and see what's being done, but mm-hmm. But they have no magic at the TVA, and we're going to see later B-15 be unnerved by Loki using his magic in front of him. I think there's some fear there, and there's a lot of unknowns. And if you can't understand all of the powers that this variant has, you're going to be constantly behind.
2: And I think it goes deeper than that, Chris. I think that, and this is something that from a tabletop role-playing point of view, that we as storytellers play with all the time. You have in the TVA, agents of order going against a variant that is an agent of chaos. And the agent of chaos's only goal is to mess up the agents of order. And the agents of order only goal is to go ahead and eliminate the agent of chaos. And those are diametric opposites of one another. I think where the show is going to go eventually is that neither side really understands the other one enough to win. Right? Because the, the agents of order can't understand what the agent of chaos is going to do because they just don't think like that. So it's like it's, the magic is definitely part of it, but I think it's, it's, it's almost more organic than that, right? It's at their very cores, they're operating in different worlds.
1: Good point. Yeah, I also think it's probably like the human experience. Right. We've seen that the hunters and analysts and people at the TVA don't have a real life, they seem to be created just to prune. Yeah. Whereas a, a variant has a life. They have different experiences. They think differently. Mm-hmm. So for them to put themselves in the mindset of a variant is not possible.
3: Well, it, it actually brings me back to something you mentioned uh, in your last episode where you're talking about how that waiting room looked felt like the DMV. And I, that's exactly what I thought. And I was instantly <laughs> yeah. because of my righteous dislike for the DMV. Um, and, and with all due forgiveness to the people who work there, I just hate having to be there. But uh, <laughs> it dawned on me that, that so many aspects of this are, are showing up in so many different places. The people that work behind the counters do not even comprehend what it feels like um, for the people who are in the lines and vice versa. That's why we get issues where people are yelling at other people because they wear or don't wear masks and people enforcing these ideas on each other because there's just no comprehension of the other person's experience and therefore no conversation and therefore no consensus or positive way forward it's always this loggerheads back and forth and and i think it just plays out in so many different aspects of the show that uh, that's why uh, we feel tense in the right moments because it is a very human experience
0: You know, it is a good point. And that's what I think makes Mobius so interesting because he's so good at his job. He's quite the lie detector. Yep. We see that here in the little show that Loki puts on. He overplays his hand with Mobius. Yep. Goes just a little too far. Yep. And I think what does it is the concern for the timekeepers. That was just a touch too much.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know... I thought that it was a brilliant moment. I think Owen Wilson perfectly played a brief comment or set of comments that was menacing. Like, understand your position. That's basically what it was. It's like, okay, I've let you play, but just remember, you are still on a leash. And then he yanked back on it hard.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
0: So Mobius calls out the bullshit, which is what it is. And we'll talk later about what Loki was actually trying to do here. So then B-15 sets her charges. And now what I'm wondering is how do they determine the radius for resetting these timelines? Here it was pretty contained in the tent, but how big can this radius be? I
2: mean, time is a fourth dimension. I don't think that there is a there is a dimension in kind of our three physical dimensions, right? So it's, it's resetting everything in that timeline that's wrong. I don't... I don't know that it's necessarily constrained to uh, uh, to the three
3: physical dimensions.
1: I think they probably change it as per the
3: requirements. Exactly. If you notice that they're setting dials or pressing buttons, uh, I get the impression that they're saying, okay, this this threat has spread 20 feet, so I'm going to set the charge for 20 feet or 30 Right. Feet, or maybe those ones can only handle 20 feet and they've got – they can uh come in to get a bigger one that can handle a mile if they were that far behind. I get the impression that they're pretty high on themselves and they would never let a threat get more than a couple hundred feet away. Like they they they're on it. Like they get there in time to stop these things before they get bad. You know that kind of thing. I I just get that impression that you know Loki reveals uh something that they have had what? limitless time to not find out and so I think that 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 that, that um, these charges are probably pretty adaptive in that way.
0: Fourth dimension, possibly not confined to three dimensions. Josh, it is seven oh six in the
3: morning. What are you doing?
2: Here? <laughs> I mean, I've had my coffee. I don't know what your issue is. <laughs> <laughs>
3: i'm cracking my second rock star right now
2: (laughs) well and i mean but that whole thing plays right into into loki's timeline anyway how did he get in trouble with the tva in the first place because he was playing with the tesseract and what is the tesseract but a four-dimensional object right so you know we now now we have a tie back into the fact that that these things only play with time like you know, of course, the uh, that's why the Infinity Stones don't work. Is because these things are able to erase the things that don't belong, and the Infinity Stones are these keyholes into unlimited power that transcends that that spacetime. All right. Never mind. So, <laughs> n- n-
1: no, no, no. Come back, come back. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. So do you think that the TVA is outside and the reason why time works differently is because they're in a pocket dimension or they're in the quantum realm?
2: Yeah. So, okay, we're, we're going to put theoretical physics hat on for just a second, right? So if we think about the uncertainty principle, the uncertainty principle basically says that you can either observe something, uh, sorry, when you observe something, you can either determine where it is or where it's going, right? So, mm-hmm. if the TVA is able to observe time and see what's happening in it, that they are clearly not—they are clearly not on the main timeline. Okay. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to observe it and interact with it, right? That's why right. we, as as mere mortals, cannot bend and shape time because we're stuck in it, right? We can't mm-hmm. affect the thing that we're in. So, the TVA has to be something separate it has to be a separate uh, a separate universe or a second separate, separate pocket realm or something else it has to be some sort of extra dimensional space that is not within the timeline that they're affecting right okay which raises the question of course whether or not there are multiple tvas right
3: that's a whole right separate discussion that mirror is reflecting upon itself at this point right right <laughs> well mobius yeah
1: So, from a layman's perspective, you could say that the timeline is a row of ants, and we humans, when we are observing them, it's the TVA observing us. And when if we put a line into the sand to, you know, divert the ants, it's the TVA doing what they need to do.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. Can I take my physics cap off? It's time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So this is when Professor Josh realizes that he's been going on for five minutes about theoretical physics and that he should really just stop.
3: My true, uh, yeah. What I was thinking was, I wish I had, had this discussion when I was in high school, and then that physics discussion would have made much more sense, and I probably would have gotten a much higher grade on the exam. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. and I'm the one who took geoscience instead of physics. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, it, I, and again,
2: I, let, without without beating this this point with a stick too hard, right? Even the character's name Mobius. So what is a Mobius strip? But a Mobius strip is a three dimensional object that is constructed in such a way that it functions as a two dimensional object, right? So Mobius in, in the physics thing is playing with the number of dimensions that are at play in any given time. So
1: I did not think of that.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's gotta be where the name comes from, right? it, I believe it was we have a we have the Fantastic Four who deals with all these different ro- realms, including the quantum realm, by the way. And we bad mm-hmm. guy that does time cop stuff. I, and if I miss my guess, it's come up with a name that's indicative of time. I don't know if it was that deeply thought of, but it does definitely work. I'm sure some things were fact checked, but at the time that this character came out, I'm not entirely sure that there was that much uh, effort put into how things got named. But I think it was apt, and I think it works very well. And I think now that we're 30 years after the fact, going back and saying, let's really make things work, now they can take the name which was clever and worked well, sounded cool and fit, and now we can find ways to add dimension to it and layer it so that it is more expressive for the modern world.
0: Well, now that my brain is jelly, let's head over to. <laughs> Sorry, let's Chris. head over to Judge Renslayer's <laughs> office. We this is a great scene, great bit of set design and score, and we learn a lot about Renslayer and Mobius here in just this little interaction.
1: Yeah, and might I just say, called it? They are friends.
0: You say you called it as if like you predicted an assassination. It was clear there was a history between the two of them. Get off your high hey, horse. Hey, I said
1: it. You didn't.
3: My only question is, are they friends or are they exes who are friends? Or are they your friends who are afraid to go the extra step?
0: That's what I'm wondering, too, because there is some romantic chemistry between them. They're great together. So I'm wondering what it's been. Yep.
1: Oh, I don't think Kang would like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there's also my question of professional Rivalry, maybe too—not rivalry, but I feel I get this feeling that Renslayer has been promoted because she's towed the company line, and Mobius is like still an analyst, even though that's what he should be doing. That's what he's meant to be doing. Clearly, that's why he hasn't risen because he's a little insubordinate and
3: stubborn. He has some Loki qualities that are not going to let him move to be uh, beyond middle management. He's not, yeah. he's never hitting that next step. It And it makes me think of, you know, when um, Mobius is questioning Loki and telling him that this is all you're ever going to be. Is he, pro- is he self-projecting a little bit? Is he, mm-hmm. he also figured he's never going to be more. He doesn't get promoted like his friend or he doesn't get to, even if he gets the big win, he's still going to be that mid-level manager. Like I don't know what it is in companies that get somebody to move beyond mid-level management to that next level. Uh, and I'm not saying that anybody, everybody on that next level did something wrong or, or not worthy because that's not the case at all. But there are a lot of people who feel stuck in that mid-level management where they're like, I'm doing a good job. I work hard. Why can't I ever get that promotion? What is it about me that never lets me get that promotion? And I think to some extent, part of it is, maybe you are out of the box a little too much. Maybe your company is not going to allow that alternate thought process into that level of control.
0: Yeah, and Renslayer makes me very nervous. Uh, She's the reason, I think, that we see lots of Jostacola. We'll never see Kool-Aid because she's drank it all already, clearly.
4: yeah,
2: (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) I love it.
1: Well, the question is that is there the concept of promotion in the TVA or were these people created for their roles? As we've been told before that the, the not time lords, timekeepers. The timekeepers created these people. <laughs>
3: That's one. Oh <laughs> well, you can yes, do all yes. the doctor who you want. All you want. I've been watching it since I was four years old. I'm all about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so were these people created for their roles and they're stuck there? Or can they move forward? Because I mean, we see that they basically have no lives. Why would they need that ambition to get promoted?
3: It's definitely a question. I think it's a question that will be answered or needs to be answered. And I think they've purposely left it unanswered at this stage. Um, maybe that's the reveal that they are created for the one for the one task, the one job. I mean, could you imagine? An eternity processing people to sign every word they've ever said. Like kill me in mm-hmm. a bit. That's it. Like you do that all the time. If time is timeless, then you don't. You don't go. You don't go to bed. You don't do whatever. I mean, you sit there, other than going to lunch. Why would you even need lunch in the TVA? I found that to be interesting. But it's like, right? You know, it's like if that's all you do, even if it's on a shift. Like my goodness, that would be dreary. Like, it's no wonder why they're all angry.
0: Now, see, my bigger beef with, my bigger beef with the lunch scene was like, that's it? What the fuck are you going to do with that salad? Where's the burger? Is there even any protein in that salad? Come on. Well, he added the milk. <laughs>
3: Maybe some prosciutto. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> oh, a man after my own heart. Mm. I don't and, he, and he said it right. Of
3: course I did. Oh, uh, we, we we have
2: we have mad love for good cheese and salted meats on our on our show. So,
0: uh, that's... <laughs> now, Renslayer here says something that leads me to believe that at least part of the sympathy Mobius has for Loki is genuine. She says, "I know you have a soft spot for broken things," which leads me to believe he's had these kinds of interactions with variants before. He is such an observer of human behavior, and that's his job you know, going through history as a spectator. And that's what we see he's doing with Loki. He's telling her, look, I'm observing his behavior to learn more about the variant. And I think that's something Loki misses. He's too much of a narcissist to be able to understand how Mobius is using him in other ways.
1: Yeah, because he has his own agenda as well.
3: Yeah. Right. And I think you're right. And it actually makes me think of something that you had said, uh, Amy is that you know when you equate this to Doctor Who in some ways, how much like the doctor is Mobius in this way, where the reason why he stands out from all the time lords is he's the one doing something the rest of the time lords just watch mm-hmm. he's the one right. that's like i'm not watching anymore i'm I'm affecting things he's the he's the one time Lord who takes agency Mobius is the one t v a representative who's taking agency he's not just following the mission he's like that's not working i'm going to do something different and uh and i think that's interesting uh when you take into account that a lot of what this show is about is about personal agency it's about loki learning about himself owning his own choices and taking agency for the choices he's going to be making moving forward and in this case mobius is dealing with the fact that he's taken agency and made choices to choose Loki over the status quo. And I think that's a, a theme that we're going to come back to episode after episode is that agency theme. And I think that, 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 that the connection between Doctor Who and this makes a lot of sense in that regard.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But again, is Mobius taking agency or have the timekeepers allowed him to take agency because they've decreed it?
3: So that comes down to I think where we're gonna end up. And I have a sense that despite the fact they claim to be all powerful, Marvel mm-hmm. in general, as a comic book company, and certainly the MCU has created this world or this fictional universe where um there is no um true omnipotence. And mm-hmm. In order for them to allow him to do this per se, there would need to be a level of true omnipotence where they not only know all, they see all, they control all. Well, if that's the case, then why do we have these variants to begin with? You allowed it. exactly. That's the question. So my guess is, like Loki has been saying since the very beginning, this is all facade. This is not what you're claiming you're able to do is not what you're actually able to do. It's Mm -hmm. a weak grasp for power that is based on convincing people of power you don't actually have. It It is the... It, they are they are actually doing the casting in this case, and except they're doing it through propaganda. No. Wow, wow, what a right. world we live in, right? I mean, on the plus side of certain voting decisions, we
4: <laughs> yeah. are living
3: in a world where we get the fact that we should have learned this 60 70 years ago that propaganda can be used in this way you know and, and so i think it's pretty interesting that when we ask these questions i think we're meant to ask those questions but i will always come back on the side of it's a facade it's not real they don't truly have that control they're just trying to make all the characters within the within the scope of this show believe they have that control
1: right yeah I- and and that's exactly what Mobia says i believe it's true
0: it's real because I believe it's real.
1: Yep. Yes, exactly. Thank
0: you. Yep.
2: And then Renslayer goes out of her way. Sorry, not, not just just to kind of glob on that too. Like Renslayer goes, when she makes the statement about the fact that they, meaning the timekeepers, want the variant caught, all of a sudden the, the timekeepers are actually real people or real beings who are concerned, who are not just crafting the timeline, but are concerned about things happening to the timeline. So clear, so they're not omnipotent. They are clearly not totally in control. There are things that are happening outside of their control. But And then, of course, it raises the big specter of, well, why is it that they want this variant caught? What is happening that the timekeepers are so concerned about this particular variant? And
0: Renslayer and Mobius have this little bit here about that agency when she tells him, you know, Loki is an evil scourge. And it works for the story and it works so well in a meta way. Again, when Mobius says to her, maybe he wants to mix it up. Sometimes you get tired of playing the same part. (laughs) And I have to imagine that the first time he read that in the script, Hiddleston had a hearty chuckle at that line.
2: I think Owen Wilson did too. I mean, because we talked about the Wilson brothers. How typecast has Owen Wilson been throughout oh, his God. career as, True. you know, the blonde sort of ditzy surfer type. And now here he is, you know, playing a G man, like who, you know, so like, like, like you know, the, the, the pot smoking surfer who you know spent his teens on the beach is now working for the government. I mean, so I think that, they, I think that that comment on a meta level worked in so many different directions about how you, yeah. know, you get tired of playing the same thing over and over again.
0: Yeah, you know, for Owen Wilson, I think it's the opposite with this role for him. I think this is the least amount of himself that's ever been in a role. Exactly.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. truly that. I actually picture uh, the way Owen is playing Mobius as being the way we would see Keanu Reeves point break character be 30 years older. Stuck in an office working for the FBI because they just don't let him out on missions anymore because he right. jumped out of airplanes and dumb crap. You know, it's like you just sit in your office, <laughs> put on your tie, wear your short sleeve button up whites with your little yeah. pocket protector, and that's all you get. And he grows on the little nineteen uh, yeah. mustache. And I literally picture that being Keanu Reeves' character older.
2: Totally. I mean, it's it's why it's why we were so off put by Keanu Reeves in The Matrix in the first in the very beginning because it it was clear that he was sitting behind his desk and that he did not belong there. Yeah. Right? That he was that he was different. So he was other. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, the Owen Wilson I know would be Mobius on a jet ski smoking a joint. You know <laughs>
3: exactly. Right?
0: And how. That needs to be the end credit scene of the finale is Mobius finally getting on his jet ski.
3: As long as it's him him and Phil Coulson, I think that'll be great.
0: Dude, I swear they would be best friends. They would get
3: skiing off into the sunset. Well, can you picture the cavalry just being so done with them both? (laughs)
0: yes oh my god this is it they're riding off into the sunset together in lola towing the jet ski behind them that's it we just wrote it we just wrote it
1: but we cannot forget the wow
0: yes that's included that's yeah that goes without saying yeah yeah (laughs) now i'm actually in the camp i don't think the timekeepers exist at all oh for me, it's a very Wizard of Oz type feeling, and we're going to get into this later, but uh, this is my the, the scars of my Catholic youth showing here. <laughs> I just don't buy it. And I don't think Renslayer's ever met them either. I think it's all bluster with her for the position that she's in. I don't trust her. All of these contradictions, I don't buy that she's ever seen these alleged timekeepers. I think it's all done from a distance. I don't buy any of it.
1: If you really want to go full conspiracy theory, what if Miss Minutes is the timekeeper? It's this is non
0: division territory, Missy. Oh. <laughs> I skipped over that hexagonal coaster, Missy. So you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> keep this in check.
2: All right. So so this is this is again where I go de- That's awesome, Amy. First of all, I love that theory. But let me let me dive in here a little bit. So uh if you take again, say so I'm all about like translating names into what they actually mean mm-hmm. are any of you familiar with the concept of ren in confucianism
1: no when i can speak for chris i think she's um her ears are leaking right now <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the, con- the concept of ren in confucianism is um it's like goodness or or perfect virtue or you know it's like it's it's one of the it's one of the steps right towards towards enlightenment Uh, Mm -hmm. And so if you think about her name as Renslayer, the slayer of human heart or human goodness. Mm -hmm. So is, is she really kind of the one that is meant to, you know, is she is Renslayer also not a good guy, right? Is, is Renslayer sort of that, that force that is trying to like eliminate humanity on some level or something like that like you know again okay. like with, with with lack of com- so so uh, maybe amy Luanika does renslayer have any sort of comic book lineage to go ahead and play back on like because I, I i don't again without knowing that i'm i'm grasping at straws on who she
3: is i'm not it does i'm not familiar with her uh character uh directly in any way well
1: i did a little bit of research she's basically which we discussed in the previous episode she's basically the love interest for kang the conqueror
3: oh oh, okay oh
1: and there was all that stuff and you know as comics were pretty sexist in that time (laughs) he was interested in her she wasn't and he decided to kidnap the avengers to impress her like you do yeah, like as, as you know, well, men, <laughs> and <laughs> my gay is showing. Sorry, guys. Um.
2: <laughs>
3: you fly that fly, gaming. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I mean, hey, like I said earlier, history is bereft with this stuff. So <laughs> it, it, yeah. It is.
1: So shit happens, and eventually, when <laughs> Kang is being almost killed she takes the killing blow because she was in love with him after all Ugh. and then there's a whole journey with kang trying to bring her back and all that crap yeah.
2: is, is that where he gets involved with lady death and all that yeah
1: lady death and uh the grandmaster and all of those people mm-hmm.
3: now is that before we find out that kang is actually franklin richards uh at, at some in some alternate timeline or something like that or after like Kang is one of these interesting characters that has changed so many times and, right. and had so many rewrites. Marvel could literally pick one of like 10 that I know of and still be comic book accurate. <laughs> you know? So.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah.
0: So Renslayer here has given Mobius one last chance in dealing with Loki. And now knowing Lee that you have six children, how triggered were you? By this next scene of poor poor Mobius dealing with just the most obnoxious person he's ever met
3: (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny that you say that because the show triggers so many things but most often I find myself identifying with Loki in that of course I'm going to be mischievous of course I'm going to do these things and I don't know. It, it's, it's funny that this show more so than a lot of shows are actually more so than most television shows, other than the Marvel shows and Superman and Lois this year has me saying, wow, I identify like mm-hmm. all characters are so immeasurably relatable. Big time. You know, and, and, and in weird ways that I never expected, you know, when they talk about Loki putting on a, sh- a veneer, or a show because that's the role he has been told he is. So that's the role he feels forced to play. And that's how he identifies himself. It's like, I get that. You know, I, I, I've been the kid that maybe not everybody's uh, not all my friends' parents wanted their kids to hang out with uh, because I'm a little outside of the box where I get into a little bit of trouble that I thought not have been getting into. So, I, I get though, well, if I'm going to be called mischievous, I might as well be it. You know, I, I really identify with that element of, of Loki, which is so cool because I never identify with Loki out of the comic book. Like, it, I, he was not a character I particularly liked in the comic book, but I love him in the Marvel, in, in the MCU.
1: Yeah, he is very different in the comics.
3: He's more of a traditional four color villain. Relic of the Silver Age in the comic books. He's just the bad guy. He's evil because he was born to be evil, destined to be evil. There's no real believable motivation behind the character, at least my impression of him. You know, uh, it's part of the reason why I didn't really care for Four in the comic books for a long time because there's just nothing about that character that I related to. The MCU changed that and gave me things that I could relate to family drama. Got it in spades, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) Um, you know, blended families and all of the issues that that come up with that. And I'm not saying anybody in my family are are like these characters, but I understand the motivations, you know, I come from a blended family. I am the the patriarch of a blended family. You know, these kinds of issues play out and uh, I have a connection with them. And so I can see these things in the show and it really calls to me something that the comic books didn't do well. And so thank thank you, MCU, for giving us something to really change my opinion on with the various characters and show them in a realistic way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the MCU has should be credited for bringing in a lot more fans who have now become comic fans. Because like someone like me, if I read some of these comics, I would have just thrown them out of the window. They're so shallow at certain points.
3: Oh, yeah. With all due respect to Stan Lee and some of the great writers who worked on these books, they have individual blocks of stories that were fantastic, but they had so many stories that were just terrible depictions. Part of that was the Times, but honestly, they're just just weak. Just so, yeah, just like hollow characters. Like, oh, insert bank robber here. Why is this guy a bad guy? Well, because we need one. You know, he, yeah, he yeah, There's No motivation. You know, Killmonger on on film is so much that Killmonger is not in the comic books. Like they're not. You could have named him something different. You know, and, and and I'd have been fine with it. The fact that they're like this is now Killmonger. That's the only way I want to envision that character now. You know, same thing with Loki. The only way I want to envision Loki is this way. I would hope that the Marvel comics are writing Loki this way.
0: Now, mm-hmm. yeah, and this scene is great because we get honesty, real honesty, out of Mobius here through Loki's kind of desperation to get that audience with the Timekeeper that Mobius is dangling in front of him. And what this is is Mobius being worn down.
3: No, he he definitely is under un, under pressure. The ultimatum is there. He know he he knows he has to get a win, and uh, there's no backing off of the fact that there has to be a win. And I think his attitude towards Loki at this point moving forward is indicative of a done playing games now. This has got to yeah. be right, and, and yeah, very clear in the way he approaches the sound of his voice, the the, the his cadence with Loki. I think he actually speaks in a way that's just more tense. Like it's got a little more gravel to the voice, a little more forcefulness. I think he, mm-hmm. a little deeper in, in his tone than he usually is, less high pitch or whatever. Uh, and, and I think that's all very well done to show that our tensions need to ratchet up. And I don't know about anybody else. When I got to this part of the episode, I was feeling more tense.
0: Oh, Absolutely. Because, too, we start, like you said, with this game playing, this constant chess match. We have no idea if Loki's telling anyone the truth, including himself. Yep.
4: Yeah. Is he 10
0: steps ahead? Yes, he's playing his own game. But is he telling the truth of any of it? Is he putting on a complete act for Mobius? And Hiddleston being so good in this role makes it even more difficult to tell.
3: My guess is he's probably three to five steps ahead, but he's going to tell him ten because mm-hmm. you know, guy stuff always multiplied by three.
2: Uh- <laughs> Are you accusing oh. Hiddleston of being a Cheeto eater?
3: Come on now. Uh, I am not. <laughs> a- I think that's. I think that goes above and beyond uh, Cheeto issues. I do believe. Uh, I would say myself to some extent. You know, there's there is a, an ability not about all things, but there is a certain level of expand on what you think and know to be true. And we all kind of rate that ourselves. And then when we listen to other people talk, we're like, okay, yeah, that fish, yeah, 30, 30, 30 pounder. Okay, so it's probably 15 yeah. to 20. Good, thanks. And we're moving on, <laughs> you know. <Right>. You don't <laughs> question them on it. You just recognize in your head. It was not a ninety-pound trout. It was just not ninety. <laughs> <pounds>. <laughs> so you Invited for four hours, probably five minutes. You know, you, you wore out all your muscles. You blew out your back. Well, you tripped over your beer cans. I get it. It happens. <laughs> to the best. But. So
2: to to quote sort of uh, our own our own dialogue here a little bit. This is the part of the podcast where I'm going to disagree with my co-host strenuously. <laughs> I actually don't think that Loki is ahead of anybody i think he uh so for one as an agent of chaos i think he's just he's trying to play a game that he is not he's trying to play chess and he's not good like he's not a chess player right he is an agent of chaos he is he's all about the counterpunch right and just to jump ahead to the end for just a second Mm -hmm. he might think that he is three to five steps ahead but the quote at the end of the episode that it's not about him proves that he is not where he thinks he is in the story right he thinks it's all about him he thinks he's hunting himself everybody thinks that they're hunting loki only to find that they're not i'm with you josh i'm with you yeah because you are a very smart person chris that's why that's, you know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> so are you i'm not done hold on i'm not casting shade here let's
3: <laughs> it's amazing that a compliment somebody else, as long as that compliment includes themselves. It's beautiful. But, uh. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because there's so much, there's so many contradictions with reality here. And one of them is Loki's ego versus reality, that constant struggle. Because, too, at the beginning, he's insulted when Mobius thinks, oh, you're not going to try to escape. He's insulted that they're not worried about him betraying the TVA.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and then you see kind of, uh, again, just to jump to the end, you see when he when the door is open, and I think at that point, Loki is like, well, wait a minute, am I supposed to escape because they think that I'm not going to escape, or am I not supposed to escape because they don't think I'm going to escape, so I would escape? You know, so he's kind of going that, he's kind of doing that, well, you know they think they know what I'm going to do. So I'm not going to do that, but should I do the thing that they don't think that they think I'm going to do because they don't think that I think that they know that I'm going to do it. You know, like that whole, right. In in that scene, I was like, Oh my God, he's Chandler
0: big. (laughs) (laughs) He he,
2: he is is Chandler bong. Exactly.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) Ms. Chandler bong.
3: Oh my goodness. Uh, You know, uh, Like I said, I think he's probably about three steps ahead, but it actually depends on who you're talking to. Over everyone, no. Over individuals in the group he was addressing, absolutely he was ahead of them. I don't think he was very far ahead of Mobius. I don't think he was very far ahead of uh, uh, B-15. But the rest of that group, oh yeah, he was way ahead of them, right? Light years ahead of them. So I think it's all about... they're all cannon fodder. They don't really matter. I, I think it's interesting. Loki, who is great at lying, is actually worse at it than he likes to think he is.
0: Yes, he is. Uh, You're
3: right. And I think that's true of the best liars. It's all like you know the old adage that the best lies have that kernel of truth. That's what makes it believable, right? It mm-hmm. has to have that kernel of truth. So I think that's what Loki's good at. He's good at finding a way to steer a story or steer a, a information So that in effect is a lie, but all along, it's actually somewhat of the truth. So when he says, I'm 10 steps ahead, you're 10 steps ahead of one guy in that room. But you addressed everyone. So no, you're not, buddy. Yeah, and
0: it's funny. It's funny because in this next scene, we're actually going to see Mobius is one step ahead of him. He knew Loki would try to go to the library and get files he shouldn't be seeing. Yep. And man, this librarian with this pinched face is so perfectly cast.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fabulous.
0: And Lewinika, this is, you know, kind of what you were saying too before about watching Hiddleston and interviews and everything. I have to wonder if they did any like screen tests with some of these actors and whatnot to bring them in to spend some time with him just to make sure this librarian needs to be immune to his charms for this to work. You know, let's let's make sure we find people he doesn't have chemistry with, which are few and far between.
1: A.K.A. lesbians.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I wasn't going to say it. You can say it. See, uh-huh. there we go.
4: It works.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Even just like their initial interaction, I was like, oh, excuse me. And she's just typing along, typing wrong until he hits the little bell, <laughs> and then she's like, how may I help you? Like, again, agent of order versus an agent of chaos. Unless he follows the rules, he can't get what he wants, which is absolutely killing Loki. Like, he he cannot stand the fact that he has to play by the rules to get what he wants.
3: And, and yeah. In addition to that, that he can't be seen, it actually reinforces the narrative that's in his head. If I'm not being this way then i'm not noticed so now he's being forced to not be the way he's always been able to be noticed i mean let's be honest if you're standing next to thor at any age where your approximate age it is tough to get noticed you know uh it is very difficult to stand out you know, um, in various ways, whether it's because somebody looks better than you, they're physically more fit than you, they're better liked than you, they sing better than you, whatever the case may be. If you're less than in any element, it is hard to feel noticed. And for him to be, his whole character has been created because of feeling less than. And now he's in this situation where I can't even do the things I normally do to get noticed. You know, what is the world throwing me right now? It's a really good point.
0: You know, guys, I'm going to need some band-aids, maybe some stitches for all these deep cuts we got going on here today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I think the wardrobe plays a big part in this.
0: Does it? (laughs) 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 Sorry, my mind mind went another place. Continue. Uh Uh-huh.
1: With Loki, he's always trying to be larger than, especially with those horns. And here he's just wearing this nondescript brown suit. Mm-hmm.
4: Yep,
3: works for right. me. So, yep. Oh, yes, I, I yes, of course it does. But he has to put <laughs> the collar. It's not good enough to be like everybody else. That, that exactly. That I, you're you're correct. Every element of this is really well thought out because. And I don't know whether that was a direction or whether that was Tom Hiddleston just saying, Loki's not wearing this like this, you know, Loki's doing this. And then they're like, Oh, let's roll with that. Like, I don't know if in, in dress rehearsal or in rehearsal, it was discussed or where that came out. I imagine that might've been, you know, the second or third take where he's like, Oh, let's try it this way. See if this works. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in, in my head cannon, that's how that came out. Like it was, I would agree with you. Cause he, he doesn't, miss a single detail and we're
0: gonna see that even this scene here as he's going through the papers he's even turning those pages in a pissy defiant way
4: yes yep Yep.
2: Uh, just to go ahead and take that a step further think about this too um loki chooses to go by the last name uh, he does not go by Odin's son, which would be traditional. Uh, he was adopted by Odin, right? But he goes by Lofe son, and I think that that is a way to distinguish himself from being related to Odin and related to Thor and and everything like that. Like it, it is a way to kind of separate himself to be to distinguish himself among. Two people that are so, or two beings that are so immensely powerful and immensely
3: popular and immensely good, and and all those sorts of things. Well, it's yeah. absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned that because if you think about it, he he could not have taken that name until after the event of the first Thor movie because he didn't know he was Loki's son um, before, Thor. right? So he literally did that in defiance of his uh, of Odin. After he found out the truth. Right? So that was like, now you tell me I'm adopted? You say you love me, but you didn't tell me the truth until now? had to find this out? Well, I got news for you. I'm not your son anymore. And then he takes the name. And even though he plays the son for the next set of films, uh, he, in fact, is taking the name, proving he's not the son. He is splitting himself. Uh, uh, in in that moment and what I found interesting is that's not something that Loki would have called himself but yet that's what the TVA called him yep
1: yeah so are they taking biology over adoption or is that how Loki was referring to himself at that time because by the end of Endgame he refers to himself as Odinson.
0: Yeah. Right, but that hasn't happened to this Loki.
3: Right, right. not yet. And this yeah. Loki had just gotten beat by the Avengers in the Battle of New York. So he hasn't even gone back to stand trial to truly get Odin's anger at him. You know, he, mm-hmm. that hasn't even happened yet. So it's like, it's like, it's weird that they're going through this name, which maybe that's why... When they called him Mr. Laufus, and he had that weird look on his face. Like, I haven't even decided to go with this yet. Like, maybe it's like the, it almost could be, and they don't really say, but it almost could be like the first time he's referred to this, as this.
0: I think so. Just hearing him called Mr.
3: was weird. Yeah.
0: So we see him getting to work on these case files and figuring out. That we have something going on with these apocalypses here, and a great moment with the score and that close up on his eyes tearing up as he's reading about the destruction of asgard that was great
3: brilliantly done
2: yeah, because I, I wonder if on some level he feels he feels responsible right like as that agent of chaos like, well what do you mean my home is gone like that's they're all gone you know um and i i'm I'm also curious, and again, I have not looked into this yet um. Uh, since you know the episode just came out yesterday, but I wonder if there is some relevance to the number. Like, has there been somewhere in Marvel Canon where they have established that? Because it seems like he just focuses on the on the population, the you know, the lost population, just a little too closely to just be coincidental. Um, and so I wonder if he's looking at that number, like, okay, well, that says ninety four nineteen, but I know that there are ninety four hundred and twenty one people that live there. How? Where are they? Who made it out? And trying to trying to do that, like, you know, maybe not, but that was that was one thing that I keyed in on because I I wrote that in my notes is like, you know, there. Nothing that happens in Marvel is 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 uh, or in the in the MCU is like unintentional, and so when they focus on that, and then focus on it again, it's like, okay, so what what's the relevance of that number? And I I don't know what the answer is, but it makes me wonder if we're going to find something.
0: For me, what I really focused in on there was, hey, wait a minute, I grew up in a fucking sardine can of Newark, New Jersey. These fuckers, there were only ten thousand of them, and they got a whole planet. Are <laughs> you kidding me? Yeah,
2: I mean, they're gods, just ask them.
0: There were ten thousand people within a square mile of where I was living. Like, right. come on.
2: <laughs> yep. yep.
1: Well, what I took away from that was that no wonder we didn't have too much world building in the Thor movies because Fair. it's so yeah. small. Yeah. Yeah. What world? I mean, Westview was a third of the population of Asgard. Hmm. Well oh,
3: and interesting. I, and I actually thought it was supposed to be fairly small, which Which is an interesting parallel to a place, say, such as Wakanda, right? Where you have powerful kings. Monarchies are difficult over extremely large numbers. And monarchies Mm -hmm. become total dictatorships over the larger your population gets. So it makes sense that it has to be a relatively small population. Additionally, if the Asgardians numbered, say, like Earthlings... They would be so powerful; they would just have to take over everything. So I think it's kind of like its own uh, internal logic that their numbers would be relatively small. That's why they could fit most of them on a the ship. That's why they, they they are small in number. They've lived so long; you wouldn't want to overpopulate. You
0: know, that is a really good point. Totally didn't think of that.
1: And that would also make sense because with a smaller population, then we have. Odin and the gods being able to have the influence over the other planets and such because it's a smaller thing to take care of at home
3: and you basically have a relatively homogenous world where everybody believes in this magic slash super science and the divinity slash all powerfulness of the lead gods such that the people seem very willing to follow them with notable exceptions. You, you know, there, there are occasional ones who want to break away and leave and do different things. And Odin has put down such insurrections brutally over the years, as depicted in, in, in uh, Ragnarok. You know, uh, I think that, that it all lo- makes very good logical sense. I think much more sense in the MCU than it ever made in the comic book. Uh, And, you know, and I think we have Kevin Feige to say, we're going to make this make sense. Find a way to make this work.
0: (laughs) Yes. Praise Feige. Always. So Loki has this realization that the variants hiding in these apocalypses, he's so excited. He's like a crazed hamster on a wheel at this point. (laughs)
2: Right.
0: And this is my absolute favorite scene of the episode.
3: Genius. Oh, yeah.
0: Have either of you guys, because I won't bother asking Amy, I know the answer. Have either of you guys <laughs> seen the movie Benny and June? Oh, yeah. Oh, hot dogs. Yeah. Johnny Depp,
4: yeah.
2: The hot dog buns. <laughs> right? That's what this reminds me of. I did not pick up on that. That's well-placed.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> I was a bit
0: of a de- I was a bit of a Depp head when I was a teenager. <laughs>
3: uh, As maybe clear, we're
0: Let me rephrase. When I was a teenager, no hate mail, please. <laughs>
2: right right
0: he's disappointed us all anyway yeah so and this salad metaphor that he uses here is really perfect and again this is really meta because i've watched enough uh interviews with hiddleston over the years because i have a bit of a problem uh (laughs) (laughs) shut up baby um he he is one of those people who speaks in metaphors a lot So this really came through in that way.
1: Yeah, you know, when this whole thing was going on, I just remembered that meme. Seriously, in front of my salad?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love this because, uh, like we've been talking about, where they choose ways to do exposition and provide a lot of information on complex uh, concepts in a way that makes sense. Um, This was right there. I mean, it was very much like... (laughs) Amy talking about the line of ants, you know, all of the information. But if you distill it down to something that's simple and makes sense, people get it and they can move on and they are rolling with you. What I thought was interesting is Mobius kept trying to interrupt it and Loki didn't miss a beat. He was going Mm -hmm. forward no matter what.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And it really did. That metaphor really did help me understand and, you know, this <laughs> comes up later in the episode, but it's a really good thing that Asgard didn't have candy because this man does not need sugar.
3: <laughs> right. Not at all. Um, and, and, and how much like Tony Stark did he look like standing in front of the exploding mountain with his <laughs> heart- <laughs> in the middle of the yeah, yeah. With a car? That's true. Right. And, and talking to somebody, talking to camera effectively about how glorious this moment is and how right he was. That was a stark moment. Like, I don't think it was by accident. But when I saw that scene, I'm like, oh, if you put those side by side, I bet you they're a lot closer in beats than even my headcanon is remembering right now. But that, yes, and Tony
0: Stark, Tony Stark also loves to be right. Yes. And, you know, that was going back to the Avengers. That's how Tony realized where Loki was. Oh, he's a full tilt diva. He wants a a tower with his name, son of a bitch.
3: Yep. Game recognizes game, as they say. (laughs) Yeah, it takes one to know one, right?
0: And this Pompeii scene is amazing because Loki's manic energy is totally rubbing off on Mobius. I'm like, oh shit, Mobius is getting a little too excited here. Something bad's going to happen.
2: Yep. Totally. And again, it's it's the agent of order with like, let's do something small. They're not going to notice. Just like we don't want to file. And then Loki's like, nope, goats, out of here.
0: Yep, yeah. you're making you're making even the end of the world sound boring.
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know, in that moment, what I thought was how brilliant. I'm uh, as big of a comic book fan and genre fan as I am. When I think about time travel, I get very wrapped up in. It's very easy to make time travel stories crap. It's hard, right? Well, and and it's hard. Like it's very easy to write yourself into a box and. I don't know where they started this story from and how they spider webbed out from it to create what we are seeing, but I thought that this element of where he could hide was absolute brilliance like mm-hmm. is probably one of I would say the top five glorious concepts in time travel uh programming I've ever come across, like absolute genius, yeah. Yeah, um, totally
0: makes sense. Zero variants on the timeline. Loki is right.
3: And and the the best part about that is I've never seen it anywhere in any time travel show, period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 30 plus years of Doctor Who, and I have watched like the first two Doctors, everything that we can find from them as well, just because I'm that much of a Whovian. I can tell you I've never seen this before. I've watched... H.G. Wells, in every iteration, all the time travel stuff I've ever seen, never seen this concept before. It is hard to write fiction that doesn't have history somewhere. Wow. Just wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And with a lot of the time travel stuff that we see, there always holes in them that we can find if, if we just think about it a little bit. Yeah. With this, there isn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And that's one thing the writer said that their intention was to make this absolutely airtight on the logic.
2: Yeah, I, I was. This was the bit of the show that I was most skeptical about heading in. Uh, we've, we've said this before about how as soon as a show starts trying to do time travel, that's that's like the it's like a the sci fi equivalent of jumping a shark. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. You know, you know like, and, like I, I'm I'm looking at you you know tim kring and heroes where that show was fantastic and then all of a sudden time travel started being a bigger part of it and it all went fucking sideways so you know
1: also like agents of shield
3: oh god yeah and i thought it was a bad idea to do it they just happened to have great episodes while doing it that made it not as bad as it could have gotten true <laughs> you know because some of the episodes in the future bit and most of the episodes where they're going back in their different time periods had moments of brilliance you know seeing the agents of seal being a part of a glam rock band in the 80s i was i was at that concert i'm confident
4: you know, i <laughs> been
3: on uh, that band and i was like
4: yeah
3: horns <laughs> up and everything you know i was all in you know so but uh, yes, yeah, time travel is a tough gig. It is tough to do. And they did such a great job with it. Yeah.
0: So unfortunately, the real world does intrude upon uh-huh. us. And Lee has to head to work. So we must say farewell to him at the moment.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. Lee it's been a pleasure to have you here. It's yes. Been-
3: thank you, sir. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been wonderful being here. As I said, my soul sisters, and uh, I hope this is the first of many, many, many conversations that we get to have with our mutual love of these shows. um, Please, please, please uh, do stay in touch because this has been so much fun.
2: Well, I suspect Agreed. that there's going to be another one, at least with Chris on Saturday in a couple of days here. So, uh, yeah, I'm I predict I predicting. This, predicting. I have, I have this, a feeling. Yes.
1: <laughs> I have this premonition. Oh, it is. Part- Josh, do you have a time machine? Uh,
2: I, you know, I'm just. I, I I'm really from the TVA. Like, I, I hate. I can't. I shouldn't have said something, but uh, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm a timekeeper. That's that's just a, the.
3: You know, that's, time Does indicate that there will be at least an un- what <laughs> at least. One other meeting in the near future. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, and uh, again, such a great time. Yeah. Okay.
0: Thanks, Lino Bye-bye. Now, Aim, you made a metaphor here that I think is absolutely perfect. You, for you, it was a jokey thing, but for, for me, it was much more ominous.
1: I think this was more Tom than it was Loki. He was <laughs> so excited to do all this nonsense in Pompeii it really felt like he was a puppy, you know, let out to play.
0: Yeah. Now the thing here is, number one, I think he's starting to actually get into Tony Stark territory where we're like getting to be which one's which, who's who. Uh, (laughs) Tony Stark versus RDJ. But (laughs) as as someone who has raised three puppies, here's the thing. If you fail to understand... Your puppy, their personality, and what they yeah. need, and therefore you don't really know how to keep it under control. That puppy will destroy <laughs> yep. your life.
2: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that, we were talking earlier about my dog Xander, and we raised him from like a ten week old. And so, as a puppy, he uh, he he, even you know, like ten weeks old, he had this like alpha dog personality, and just like like he would harass the cats, he would eat the cats' food, he would chase them around. So, and it's just yep. he just never grew out of it. So,
0: yeah, puppies are agents of chaos. <laughs> and it's really, the way he's acting here is great foreshadowing for what we're going to see moving forward.
2: So do you think that that was a direct homage in the in the scene in uh, uh, in the store where the, the mechanical dog and him, like, meet noses? Dude! Oh, right? man! You're so right! <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I just need like that on a soundtrack behind me, like all the time, like, like whenever, you know, just, you know. Just like anytime I say something, and my wife was like, "Hey, that actually makes sense." I can just place. You are so right. Nice. See, I just need. I like. I need like that clip. <laughs> just like keep it on play at my desk.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> But I do not take responsibility for any court proceedings. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> look,
4: she
2: she had the good sense to marry me in the first place. I think I'm okay, but that's you know that's that's, that's how I talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now, so Loki and Mobius have figured out the theory works, but now they have to figure out which apocalypse variant is hiding in so we've got to slog through some more files
2: and so okay i'm curious about this because and maybe they explained it and i missed it but how did they piece together that this was the one that kablooey right but they had a bunch of different time frame oh that's right but it was only sold in the u.s wasn't it that was it was only sold in the Ah, u.s that's right
0: yep and it had to be an it had to be an environmental disaster that was very sudden. Yeah.
2: Yep. Okay. So it really narrowed it down.
1: And Kablooey was sold only between twenty forty seven and twenty fifty one. Right,
2: right. That part I picked up on. It was more just like because they had like the twelve disasters in that in that four year span, and then like
1: okay, yeah. Speaking of which, yeah. I mean the history of Earth in the future <laughs> Does doesn't look, look very bright.
0: <laughs> no. Uh, No, I was like, you know what, guys? We're barely out of COVID. Could we cut us all a break The the, the swallows go extinct. Like,
2: that's... (laughs) That that made me sad. I love swallows.
0: Yeah. And it's in this great little interlude here that Mobius figures this all out with the kablooey. And I wonder, does Mobius realize how much psychological ammunition he's giving Loki with talking about this jet ski and talking about himself in this way.
1: Well, you could say that it's something that he may have been craving, that kind of interaction with an equal. It doesn't seem like people at the TVA seem to be very friendly, aside mm-hmm. from Renslayer and Mobius.
2: And they question Mobius' the true. techniques. Like they don't necessarily think that he's yeah. doing the right thing. And so they view what he's doing with a lot of skepticism.
0: Yeah. And it's such an existential conversation that we get the here. The tone of this episode is much lighter you know, than the premiere. It's comedic, but it's still really heavy mm-hmm. with these themes of order and chaos and what's real and what's not and who has free will. And this really solidified in my brain that, and Josh, you and I discussed this yesterday, so we'd be on the same page. The TVA for me, absolutely, is the the Vatican of space. Yeah.
2: Totally, uh, uh, you know, it's got that whole like the the infallibility of the timekeepers, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, even uh when we were talking about this yesterday, even just that scene when they're coming down the elevator and you get the gigantic statues, even the pose that they're in is very much a popple blessing type pose. Um I, I think that there's mm-hmm. a lot I mean, there's there's Trinity parallels. There are there's all sorts of parallels. Uh, you know, kind of the the watching, you know, they're they're watching, they know what's going on, they've got the keys to the castle, you know, that that's lots of uh lots of sort right. of parallels there i think that that's a really interesting uh uh, illusion
0: right i mean we we grew up with that jesus is watching everything you do so you better not lie in confession (laughs) that's not creepy i mean that was our that was our heimdall
2: i remember uh totally (laughs) off topic but (laughs) welcome to my world my so i've got three older sisters and when they were younger uh, my mother had them convinced that the the way that people got pregnant is by getting undressed in front of open windows. So. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's
1: why you yeah, did tell me. That's, that's
2: why you have to close your blinds, right? Is because because otherwise you'll get pregnant. So.
0: Yep. Welcome to Catholicism, <laughs> Welcome to Catholicism, in, the Catholicism in the Northeast. Northeast, exactly. Uh,
2: uh, I think I just broke uh, Amy's brain. Uh, uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs>
0: yes, listeners, if you haven't listened yet to our daredevil series, go back. You'll get all my thoughts on the Catholic Church.
1: I think I'm going to be quiet for the rest of the episode. I'm, I'm done. I'm, 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 yeah, Man, that's,
4: I'm and good. That's a wrap. All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for me, it's also the entity aspect. So, you know, the Vatican is supposedly, you know, God's representatives on earth, fulfilling God's mission uh, of Christianity of Catholic Christianity and supposed to be benevolent and we're doing this for everyone's good just like the TVA it's for the good of all the universe we're keeping things in order as to the mission the way it's supposed to be but in reality they're both just bureaucracies most concerned with keeping power yep
1: yeah yeah and if you think about it too much the it starts to unravel Just like what Mobius says, yes. That once the timekeepers are able to get to the end of time and they finish up the storyline, there will be no Nexus events that will need to be pruned. Right. Which makes absolutely no sense.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Just like the Catholic Church, they don't want you thinking too hard. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you if you think about it, Nexus events are happening because of free will right now. So once the script has been written, will there be no free will at all?
0: hmm Yeah. So Loki is right. It is an illusion. And, you know, that makes me think of Jurassic Park 2. Not just Miss Minutes and the, the Mr. DNA sequence, but that scene where Ellie and John Hammond are, you know, hoping everybody comes back. They're eating. They're having the ice cream. And she's talking about the flea circus. And she says, that's the illusion. You thought you had control and you don't. Right. And we get another great line here too from Loki in him saying that he knows what children don't and that no one bad is ever truly bad and no one good is ever truly good. good. Great line.
2: Yeah, and I think that that really sort of I think that that kind of eats at Mobius because Mobius again, everybody at the TVA believes that they have this this extraordinary purpose, right? That they are that they are the guardians of time. They are the ones that are keeping everybody safe. Um, and I think that, that that line for as many lines as Mobius has that kind of get under Loki's skin, here is a line that Loki says that kind of gets under Mobius's skin a little bit. It, like it 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 eats away at Mobius's core understanding of himself
0: totally they're both cracking each other's foundations Mm -hmm.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and i think it goes a lot to expose mobius to the real world because he's so isolated in the tva along with all these people they have the only thing they know is what they've been taught it's like Mm -hmm. living in a cult and then being exposed to the outside world yeah there are shades of gray
0: and, you know, it makes me wonder, too, where Mobius's humanity comes from. There's these little spots that Wilson is so good with. One of them came in that salt and pepper shaker scene right before that bit started, where they sit down and Loki asks him, Are you familiar with Ragnarok? And he goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Destruction of Asgard, everyone annihilated. I'm sorry.
4: Mm. Mm.
0: That was just, that wasn't a plan. That wasn't a ploy. That I'm sorry was genuine and just a part of who he is, saying it was an afterthought for him because it's who he is, and just for a second, Loki is like surprised by it, but moves on quickly, yep,
1: yeah, and, and it's not just that, like even during Pompeii, he's telling Loki to calm down because it's in bad taste, but it is cool, <laughs> yeah, it is cool. <laughs> <laughs> But and along with the hunters at Roxcard, he's telling them to chill. Like yes, yes, we know they're going to die, but there's no need to make them more scared. He has that empathy for humans. Mm. Yes,
0: <laughs> it was cool. They're they're going to die anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So this this part, you know, speaking of religion, the fact that this major huge apocalyptic event that is going to be so pivotal to humanity the fact that it takes place in haven hills alabama it's kind of like how joseph smith thought the garden of eden was in missouri (laughs) really
2: yeah like giving that much importance to such a backwater I'm from the North. I'm not trying to throw shade on folks from the South. I'm really not Lee Wendica mentioned it earlier, like the allusions to like you know, the big box Walmart type store and the small town in southern Alabama. you know, yeah, look, I, I think the show is sort of is sort of tweaking people a little bit with it. and it's 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 subtle and it's gentle, but it's still kind of like a eh, you know, backwards Alabama. there you go. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm gonna throw some shade. I lived in Mississippi for five <laughs> months. I earned it. You did, yeah. You did your time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I did. But I think it also they did a good job of showing of showing that the people there are just, They're people. just people. They're scared people like everyone else. And we all have that in common. Yep,
2: yep totally.
0: We're talking about Mobius' excitement here, and we're a little unnerved by it. We know this is gonna get him in trouble. And Renslayer seems to feel the same way she says trusting this man is not a good idea. No. Tell us something we don't right. and know he knows your this. honor Mike
2: Mobius knows this that like at, at any point in time loki is going loki's going to loki at some point right like it's it's kind of like um uh man, I'm trying to even think of of uh of where I saw this. There's something I saw recently, but basically it was like like the conversion, you know, the, the rebuilding of Loki's persona is not complete. And so at some point he is going to revert back to his base instincts. And Mobius knows this. Yes. Right? Mobius understands this that that it's Loki has not fully converted to a good guy just yet. Right or to at least on Mobius' no. side, for lack of a good evil kind of paradox, no. Right? Um, yeah, that
0: premiere that premiere cracked yeah. him. Didn't break him. Not yet. They will. He will be no. broken. I have no doubt yep. of that. Yep. But not yep.
2: yet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they they talk about this in therapy all the time too, where it's like when you're trying to heal until you are heal until you are kind of through that conversion process and even realize what needs to be healed what you're going to revert back to are your base instincts and your base instincts are normally the ones that you shouldn't trust like so mobius understands that like what loki is going to do and he he knows that separating from him is a bad idea because he feels like he's the only one that can kind of keep him on the road to 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 where mobius needs him to be right and that on the yeah exactly right you know, and so sending Loki with B-15, like, Mobius knows that that's a bad idea, but this is really kind of where you see B-15. Again, you talked about the whole, like, control the environment versus investigate the environment kind of mentality earlier. This is where B-15 feels, mm-hmm. nope, this environment needs to be controlled, and I'm the control. So he comes with yes. me.
0: Yeah, she has to kind of play the adult in the yeah. room here, because Mobius is too excited. Totally. Yeah. Like, Knives? Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's a funny moment. It's great. Yeah. But at the same time, like, we've got to remember, this is a very dangerous individual we're dealing oh, with yeah. here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially now that they're back on Earth and he has all of his powers back, right? Like, yes. And, and you know, and how off-putting that was. Uh, Chris, it was in your notes when you were talking about how unnerved B-15 was about seeing Loki just dry himself off, you know? Yeah, like yeah. That's and how and how that was like a thing. Like, what'd you just do? I just dried myself off. Like for him, it was like eh, whatever. I just dried myself off. And she's like, oh, uh oh, like he's got all of his power back.
0: Yeah, and he's right. It made sense for him to mm-hmm. do that. You know, it was just a perfectly normal thing. And yes, yeah, so we see that she is very much in charge of this op. Like we were saying before, the differentiation here in terms of who's in charge when. So she takes Loki with her and splits up with Mobius and that's when shit hits the fan. Yep.
2: Absolutely. Because Mobius was right. Like that's at the end of the day, this is right. Loki, Loki is not going to function well in the control. And what Loki going with the control unit is going to do is draw the, the big bad to that unit. Right. Again, we, we, we talked about how we kind of run through things like this from like a a role-playing game, storytelling point of view, like, it is never a good idea to divide the party. It's just not because when yeah. you divide the party, inevitably one half of that is, is unbalanced and isn't able to go. You know, you can pick off half the party in that way, or you can isolate them in some way that makes the other so it, it, it's never a good idea, and that's exactly what they do. Um so
1: Yeah, and it makes tactical sense for the big bad to go to
2: the weakest link, yeah. which in this
1: case is Loki.
0: He would not care for that, Amy.
2: No. No, but it's <laughs> but it's exactly right because because again, everyone is misunderstanding the situation. Everyone thinks that they're hunting Loki and they're not. And he is his ego is now getting in the way because he thinks that he will be able to appeal to other Loki. But at the end of the day what we realize is that that fails because everyone has misunderstood the situation. Oh. Right. Oh, Amy, nicely done.
1: Yeah, but also, even if it was a Loki, a ver- another variant of a Loki, he would naturally gravitate toward him, towards himself because he knows the way he thinks and they can team up with their combined right. magics right. and do what they want to do. Like, you will stand for yourself at the end of the day as opposed to people who are trying desperately to control you.
4: Mm, fair,
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and this is actually the problem, is that he. this is the assumption he has and it shows... He doesn't know himself well enough to recognize that that's not going to work, that you guys are actually going to be like oil and water because-
2: He doesn't know himself enough to know when he's not looking at himself, right? He he superimposes himself on everything.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. And the other will do the same thing. That's the problem, is that he doesn't recognize how powerful his- own ego is that himself is the last person in the world he could ever work with
4: yeah yeah
1: but in a situation like this in a short-term situation the ego plays to try to defeat the most Mm -hmm. and compare with each other themselves like who is the more powerful one
4: Mm
0: -hmm. and i didn't even realize at first and i think this is Such a testament to Wonmi Mosaku and how well she is playing this role and this versatility that she's showing. Like Loki, it took me a minute to realize that she'd been mind controlled or enchanted here when she says, oh, they usually survive because B-15 is also very callous. So that line didn't trigger me at first that this was a different person we were speaking to.
2: So that's funny because I thought that immediately I thought at that moment immediately that Loki realized that he was talking to other Loki.
0: No, I don't think he did. Mm, Interesting. You can look at look at his face. He didn't know. Not until she says, So you're the fool, the TVA sent in. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and you can see the body language changing.
0: And it makes me realize too, the way she says this. So you're the fool. She knew they brought in somebody. Uh She knows. She has an in. She knows what's going on oh. at the TVA somehow because she knew there was somebody they brought in, a consultant of sorts. And that's when he realizes it. Well, <laughs> this is just such a great interaction here. Me, I presume.
2: I thought that she got that information from, uh, or that other Loki got that information from C20. Because remember, C20, when they find her, is like, yeah, I told them everything. I told them everything. I'm sorry. You know. Good call good call. Hmm.
1: Yeah, makes sense. But at the same time, this variant, or whatever we should call her now, was able to start at some point, right? So she needed to get access to that little thingamajig on their wrist in order to go to various times and start creating Nexus events and ambushing these people. How did it start? Yeah, I
0: think that's a key in figuring this all out. And this is when the chess match just kicks into overdrive. Mm-hmm. The two of them feeling each other out, and then we have Hunter C twenty found in this closet here, who keeps uttering over and over again, "It's real." What's real? Yeah. This this kept me awake for a little while <laughs> as I, last night. Yeah.
2: Like what did what did what did Loki Secundus show C twenty? To, uh, to make them realize that, like, what's going on? Like, what, what did they see, you know? And again, more kind of uh, tree of knowledge revealed kind of illusion here, right? Where C20 has learned something and it broke her brain. It changed her by learning, by learning something. What yes. if she
1: saw that there is no sacred timeline, it is a multiverse, and that's what's real.
0: Could be. And this next sequence we get here is fantastic. I don't know who the hell this guy is playing Randy, but I want to shake his hand.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. I wanted yeah. to punch him. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a good thing. And we're seeing the ego in this variant, too. She's showing off here. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Now, here's the question. How much of what Loki is telling her is true? And how much of it is bluster in the moment because he's trying to save face with somebody he's realizing might actually, deep down, be smarter than him?
2: I mean, I viewed it as Loki was trying to manipulate them to get what he wants, right? Loki still thinks that the timekeepers are real and that a meeting with them is on the table and that bringing in this other variant is the key to that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I also do think that he really does want to take over the TVA.
0: Yes. Yes, I think so at this point in time.
1: Yeah. So what he's telling Randy is the truth, but he's playing both sides. So in case if he's able to capture Randy well and good, he might get a chance to meet the the timekeepers. But if he doesn't, he has an in with Randy in order to maybe escape.
0: And we get a great line here. He's writers, man. If you could sheave your smarm. (laughs) Fantastic. And, you know, this is Loki's problem. He hasn't learned yet. This is how we know. He hasn't broken. He hasn't hit rock bottom yet. When are you going to learn, Loki? It never works out well when you try to take over shit. Yep.
1: That could also be a part of him trying to fight against what he's been told that he's meant to lose Mm, yep could very well be but he is narcissistic enough to think that he's smarter than this variant to manipulate them to get what he needs from them and then get rid of them right
0: yeah it's very hard to get inside his head yeah because he's an agent of chaos
2: and then of course from loki's perspective if somebody had made Loki the deal to be their lieutenant, what would his first thing be? It would be to overcome, it would be to overtake <laughs> the leader, right? So like he's yeah. thinking, well, if I offer them the, the lieutenantship, they'll want it because they really want to be me. So of course they'll take it, right? And so it's like, again, yeah. it's, it's him trying to play both sides and <laughs> going through the cal- the mental calisthenics of of trying to, to offer them something, <laughs> offer them something that they don't want as a means to get something that they do want.
0: And he, yeah. And he's getting a taste of his own medicine here of yeah, how absolutely. difficult this is. Yeah. God, now I understand why Thor found this so <laughs> annoying.
2: <laughs> right.
0: And our first clue that maybe this person isn't who we think she is, is that she hates being called Loki. Yeah.
2: yeah. And- is that whole, this isn't about you moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And she is just, as soon as he says that he wants to overthrow the timekeepers, she's not interested.
1: When he said he wanted to overthrow the timekeepers, there was a pause because I think there they align. But it's not because Randy wants to take over and become the new TVA. It's because Randy wants to get rid of the TVA completely.
0: I think so, too. I think that's her endgame. And we have, you know, some major chaos going on here. And we get our little glimpse with the puppy robot of Loki getting thrown around. Mm -hmm. And what I find really fascinating is that, and it's great because it totally works for this scene. In the last 10 years, Marvel has mastered every special effect in the book, just perfectly worked it out. However, in that same time span, they still have not figured out how to tame Tom Hiddleston's hair. (laughs) And it works here because when he gets up off that floor and that mop is just wild, it adds to the chaos
2: of the moment so well. I'm assuming, Chris, that you have uh, seen—this was on—I'm trying to think where this was like a week ago, but it was a series of every Loki hair flip from all of (laughs) the— Uh, from all of the movies and shows. Uh, and I saw that. I was like, oh, Chris has got to see it. I'll have to see if I can find it. And I'll send it to you. Because I was like, I- 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 I'm-, I'm shocked that you haven't seen it. Like, <laughs>
1: Please don't.
4: <laughs>
0: oh, oh, I'll find it. I'm good to find yeah. it.
2: Yeah.
1: <sighs> Josh, I don't like you anymore. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but am I still always right? Do I still have <laughs> for her sure yes <laughs> i'll i'll play into chris's loki fed that's fine like i don't have a problem with that uh-huh. yeah yeah <laughs> it's a okay means to an end yeah <laughs> i
1: guess i'm the only sensible one here I mean, now loki oh, doesn't do anything for me that's... yeah same yeah, man
2: i've got
0: enough i've got enough thirst for all of yes. us
1: <laughs> i think you've got too much thirst
0: josh for instance of course i noticed i Couldn't help myself. I don't mean this facetiously. I literally couldn't help it. Um, In those trailer scenes versus this episode, where in this episode, he's wearing the jacket the whole time. Trailer scenes, he's not wearing the TVA jacket. They definitely put him in tighter pants for those other (laughs) scenes.
2: I swear to God. Uh, When I was watching episode one and uh, and they they stripped off all of his clothes, I was just like, oh, Chris is having a field day right now. Yeah, well, you know... It's it's funny you say that. They actually did a really smart thing
0: in releasing that clip like a week ahead of time because it allowed everybody to get the thirst out of their system, myself included, so that it <laughs> didn't distract from the great emotional yeah, yeah. weight of the episode, yeah, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, may I just say it allowed people to get their thirst out temporarily?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's back. As soon as I saw those still images they released on Monday, I'm like,
1: okay, he's not sad anymore. We can sexualize this man again.
4: <laughs> oh, god.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't want a a daredevil situation where he's crying while having sex, right?
2: <laughs> Wait, that that's not normal.
1: Dude. <laughs> oh. <gasps> I am the one in this podcast who makes the jokes about the bad sex or the non-existent
2: sex. Okay.
0: You're infringing on my territory. <laughs> I yes. didn't realize
2: that was sacred territory. I, I apologize.
1: It's been far too long.
2: Though.
0: So, you know, at first we, we were sure, Oh, this is lady Loki we're dealing with, but you know, we've already had her not wanting to be called Loki. And then we get some more big clues here of her taking down that hood. There she is. Yep,
2: And she's blonde. Yeah.
0: She's blonde and she's got an American accent.
1: Uh, you forgot about the bit where he says, I won't treat myself like this.
0: Yeah, that too. Yeah, But yeah, so not only does possibly this loki not have the british accent therefore it might not be from asgard it's definitely deliberate because sofia Martino is british
2: interesting okay
0: so this isn't about you works on a lot of levels so hmm. isn't about you as in you standing there or us if we are in fact variants of the same thing hmm. or you know we can look at it as the you as the this What? is this about who is this about
1: or it could also be that this isn't about you because you make everything about you i've been doing this long before you came in the picture
2: yeah and even how uh on again kind of on a meta level how marvel is sort of again they're they're kind of they're kind of giving us as the audience a little bit of a of a tweak here because they're like we're calling the show loki and it's not about him right it's about right. everything else that's happening around him and 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 they they spent a lot of energy in episode 1 to go ahead and make it seem like it was about him it was about you know him getting torn down and then he was going to get built up and it was going to be a buddy cop movie between him and Owen Wilson and isn't that fabulous and then at the end of episode 2 they pull the rug out and say nope not actually about loki it's it, it's kind of the same thing about how at the end of falcon and winter soldier how the the end credit title block had captain america and the winter soldier instead of falcon the winter soldier right um it's 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 an homage to that it's like here's here is a show again about progression it's about taking a character from one step and we're not sure at this point where it's going to wind up this show is saying is saying in explicit terms it's not about loki and so where are we going to wind up
0: you're totally right and it makes me wonder the fact that she was hiding her face. Yes, it needed to be hidden from the audience, but I'm wondering if she's also been hiding from the TVA in a way, because Loki doesn't say anything to her once she pulls that hood down. And I'm wondering, does he know who she is? Does he recognize her?
2: Yeah. Or is he just shocked, just shocked that it's not him, right? Right again. He's he's dealing. His worldview just got just got shaken up. He thought that he was hunting himself, and only to go ahead and find out that he's not. And she has been hiding from the TVA. You know, Loki figured it out, right? But she had been intentionally picking places where she could hide from the TVA, so that she could do whatever she needed to do, but not not run afoul of the agency that who, who you know whose job it is to to. To find her. So she was she was hiding herself in kind of that physical way from the audience so that we didn't know who she was. But it, that was kind of an allusion to the fact that she's also hiding in the shadows of time.
0: Good point. And Loki yeah. is also surprised here because he expects her to just blow this place up with all these charges. Right. But that's not what nope, she does. Doing, no. Nope. Instead, we have a doorway under every single charge. And... It seems like she's just resetting random timelines all over the place, sending the TVA into a fucking frenzy.
2: absolutely. Right. I mean, that that was like that was like straight out of out of Apollo 11 Houston. We have a problem kind of like (laughs) all of a sudden, like when all those branches and branches on branches and branches on branches on branches start branching, you know, like it was like it was crazy, you know.
0: Yeah, poor Casey's going to pee his pants.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Poor Casey, you know.
0: He already lost his milk.
1: But was it random?
0: That's the question. Is This variant has had an infinite amount of time to play with time, to find the right spots potentially to cause the most mayhem.
2: Uh, So I, I will... I will fully admit, um, uh, so Amy, one of the things I loved about your notes is how at the very end you listed like the 20 branches that got created by this, right?
1: <laughs> yes.
2: I may have spent way too much time looking through all that data to see if I could find a pattern. Uh, I
0: stopped myself. I I, I was almost oh, there.
2: How, how, yeah, how deep myself. did you go? Like that was, you know.
1: I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to lose my mind. (laughs) Uh,
2: Right. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I I spent way too much time trying to find that pattern. And if there's a pattern there, the showrunners are infinitely smarter than I am. (laughs) Because I I couldn't find it. They seem to be random, but I suspect... So here's my thought, is that I suspect that one of those dates is significant for some reason. But I I can't tell you which one. That's that's the problem.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, that
0: could be part of her plan, too. You know how the way sometimes when there's a serial killer on the loose, somebody will take an opportunity to kind of kill somebody in the same manner. Mm -hmm. I've seen this on Monk a couple of times, you know. Yeah. To kind of hide the killing. So it could be or like a sniper, say, where you're hiding the real target amongst other collateral damage. So it could be impossible to know which of these events actually matters for her plan yep. and she opens a door for herself and amy you and i were had the same thought here she's waiting she knew that loki would follow her through that door
1: yeah she left the door open yep. long enough for him to make the decision yep.
2: yeah Thank think everybody Mobius knew. is yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: Mobius
0: is too late yep
2: and he and he knows that he's going to be like he I, I think he knew that from the moment that they stepped into that store and he got separated from loki that that something was going to happen, and he wasn't going to be able to be there to be the to be the rock that Loki could lean on, and that he would fall.
1: So. I wouldn't say lean on, more like hold back.
2: Mm, yeah, no fair. Yeah. yeah. What a cliffhanger,
0: because Ugh. we still don't know who this woman is. Is she yeah. Enchantress? Is she Sylvie? Is she pretending to be something else? Yeah. And- What the hell or when the hell is on the other side of that door?
2: This is my one and only kind of, I don't want to be a wet blanket about it, but here is my concern is that Loki season one or whatever is only six episodes. We are at the end of episode two and don't know what the hell is going on. I think that this was a problem in Falcon and Winter Soldier where they had so many plot points that couldn't get resolved in the amount of screen time that they had, that they wasted some of their screen real estate on it. I think that Loki is doing it better than Falcon and Winter Soldier did. But I, I, after this episode, I was like, uh oh, they just, they just reset the plot. They've only got four episodes left. Can they do it? Can they actually tell a story in the time that they've got left? So that's my only concern.
0: I, you know what? It's like, uh, it reminds me of Psycho in that regard. Mm, yeah. Because what we're 35 into, minutes into that movie, we think it's going to be one thing and then the protagonist yep. <laughs> gets murdered. Right, and we're like, right. "What the hell are we watching?"
4: Yeah. Yep.
0: I have I have full faith in everyone who's a
2: part of this production.
0: I think we just got thrown into hyperdrive and it's time to buckle up. Yep.
2: I think that episode 3 will 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 be very telling about about how they if if they are aware of sort of I saw as pacing issues in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, I like Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I don't think it was paced. Mm
4: -hmm. I'm
2: hoping that in Loki, they have learned the lesson that they saw in Falcon and Winter Soldier to to kind of address this problem.
0: And, you know, I'm also nervous for Mobius. Like, oh shit, he's going to be in serious trouble. And I like him. Yep. You know, because Renslayer's ass is on the line too here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is going to be more like a catch me if you can rather yeah. than a buddy cop movie at this
2: point.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, which is a great movie, so no complaints I love here. that
2: movie. Fabulous. Yeah.
1: yeah, true.
0: And oh my <laughs> god, if Tom Hanks, if Tom Hanks dropped in on this show. Oh,
4: <laughs> could you imagine?
0: You could, I could die. I could die happy, <sighs> you know. Yep. All right, so we are going to dip our toe into Sylvie Lushton for a second, but we must say goodbye <sighs> to our friend Josh first because the real world intrudes once again,
2: again. The real world intrudes, Madams. This has been so much fun. I know that I speak for Waniko when I say uh, how much fun he had. He he has been like like a kid in a candy store for the last month. We've been putting this together. Like right, we're gonna get You're to talk to the Madams. I'm like, I know, I know, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay but 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 chris and amy, uh, i know i know it's okay relax so, you know. um but uh you know absolutely uh we chris we can't wait to have you on on our show a couple of days here um and amy i hope that next time we do this i hope that uh that you can join chris uh we'll, we'll find a time to go ahead and make it work so
1: yeah i hope so too yeah. it's been a treat to have you guys on oh, thanks so much it
0: really has Thanks. Can't wait to do it again. Absolutely in forty eight hours. (laughs) And you know, whenever
2: huge things for Marvel coming up uh, in the future, we're gonna we're taking actually a little summer break here coming up here soon. But uh, um, absolutely, anytime you need, uh, not need you guys don't need us for sure. But anytime you'd like us to go ahead and uh, and come back so you can show us how smart you are, please, uh, uh, we love it. (laughs) Especially if you keep telling me that I'm right for two and a half hours. Like that's a that's a fabulous time for me.
0: Oh no, your wife's gonna kill me! (laughs) Exactly right. You're right.
2: So, (laughs) so, Madams, thank you so very much. Please, cheers. Fantastic episode as always, and uh, can't wait to hear it. So,
0: thank you. Bye bye, Josh. Cheers.
2: Bye bye.
1: Bye. Take care.
0: So, this episode's coming out on Monday. By this point, those of you who are big enough Marvel fans to be listening to the show have heard there was somewhat of a leak. There was a voiceover credit in another country attributing the voiceover uh, on Sophia DiMartino for this to the character of Sylvie. Yes. Honestly, it's not really much of a leak because it's not definitive because this is Marvel. And this would have happened regardless, I think. Because there were people saying, oh, it's Enchantress without even knowing about this.
1: Yeah, but there are multiple versions of Enchantress. Exactly. and. Sylvie Lushton is one of them. But let's give a little brief overview of Enchantress as a whole right now. So
0: it's possible that this quote unquote variant is actually Enchantress for a few reasons. One, because she's blonde. Two, this little helmet or crown that she's wearing is different from the other Loki's. Mm -hmm. And some of the power she's got. So we're seeing some of this. She can manipulate energy and perform mind control. She's got some telepathy going on, along with dimensional travel, which could explain how she is managing to travel through time. We've got a little transmutation thrown in there. We've got life force absorption. This is a very dangerous being that we're dealing with if it is enchantress,
1: Right. And time manipulation yes so it's possible that this is Amora the Enchantress the original Enchantress but because of that leak we think it could be Sylvie Lushton who took over the mantle of Enchantress after Amora so in the comics Sylvie is actually just a normal woman from Broxton Oklahoma and Loki gave her her powers, and then she decided to model after Enchantress. So she has the same powers as Amora. And the reason why this is interesting is because she is connected to the Young Avengers. We've already seen Wiccan and Speed from WandaVision, and we've seen Elijah Bradley from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it's not too far of a leap for us to see another person connected to the Young Avengers. But Based on Sofia Di Martino's age, she's a bit too old to be Sylvie Lushton. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you could say, you know, time travel, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. She may be an older version of Sylvie.
0: Or she is a different Sylvie entirely.
1: Maybe. But my theory is that this is a merged character. Marvel has taken Lady Loki and Sylvie Lushton and created a new character and the character's name is Sylvie Laufey's daughter which we see in the episode it does a screen grab which we will put in our show notes where Sylvie is mentioned and she has all the powers that this Loki variant does have so she may be Loki's sister, Laufy's daughter.
0: And if she is, and I think what may build some credence for this is Sophia DiMartino's casting, they do look alike.
1: hmm And this is not new territory for the MCU because we have seen this happen with Whiplash in Iron Man 2 where they combine Crimson Dynamo and Whiplash to make... Whiplash, or we have a different origin story for Hella, where in the comics she was Loki's daughter, whereas in the MCU she's Loki's sister,
0: yes, and she was Loki's daughter in the mythology as well right, and you know, I said before, we have no idea who Loki's birth mother was, and there's 900 something years of of laufey that's unaccounted for in MCU Canon. There's no doubt he had more children. Especially Mm -hmm. when he threw one away, he'd need an heir, one at the very least. Right. So, so many possibilities coming out of this episode with all the variants. I am just so excited for these next four episodes.
1: Yeah, agreed. And that could also explain why the temporal aura is similar between Loki and Sylvie, because they're, they're related. And that's why the TVA is assuming that it's a low-key variant.
0: That is an excellent point. Hadn't thought of that. There are just so many ways this story could go. I have no idea when it's going, where it's going. How it's going. Yeah, and Hiddleston himself said that when he was reading this script and got to episode four, it went into a direction he never saw coming. So... That just makes me feel like, shit, if the man himself was taken aback by this, we are going to be on a wild ride.
1: Yep. And we can't wait.
0: Yeah, I'm climbing the walls, as you've seen firsthand. Yeah, Uh, ladies and
1: gentlemen, she sent me a message on Tuesday morning telling me I woke up (laughs) hoping it was Wednesday, but it wasn't. (laughs) She's interested in some time travel right now, let me tell you.
0: Yes, yes, just get me to the fall, please. Take me out of Texas. (laughs) All right. So that is where we are wrapping up episode two. And there are a few people we would like to mention this week. Emma, we are so glad that it's not just us, that others like you are enjoying the music as much as we are on the show. If you really love this score, check out composer Natalie Holt and her string quartet, Raven, on YouTube. They are absolutely incredible.
1: Darren and Taylor, I'm glad I'm not the only Doctor Who fan whose brain keeps flubbing with the Time Lords. Oh, Timekeepers.
0: (laughs) And for the record, Amy has been saying timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly for like two weeks. I thought she was making it up. I did not know that was from Doctor Who until I saw an interviewer say it the other day to Tom Hiddleston. I'm like, oh my God, that's a thing. Oh.
1: (laughs) She hasn't just thought it was so smart.
0: I thought it was just a funny thing you were saying. Okay. To annoy me because not, I was like, that's weird.
1: I'm not that funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you are that spiteful. That's the thing. That I am. And lastly, Loca Brana. How do you feel now about this we'll still call her variance motives? Let us know what you're thinking. Is it still personal? We think so.
1: I don't know, I'm too confused.
0: It's very hard to tell if anyone on this show is being honest with anyone or anything, including themselves.
1: True, but we are certainly being honest when we want to thank you for joining us today.
0: Indeed, and a big thanks again to Josh and Lee Wanika from the Tabletop Journeys podcast. Guys, If even if you're not fans of tabletop role-playing games, if that's not your jam... You'll still enjoy their side quests. They are great. We will have all their links in our show notes. But for now, I'm Madame Chris.
1: And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for our discussion of Loki episode three.
0: We're fastening our seatbelts.
1: Indeed, we are.
0: And if you want to share some of your Loki theories with us, find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Marvel Adams.
1: And for deeper dives you won't hear on the podcast, Check out our blog at themarvelousmadams.com where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend.